Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my partner in podcasting crime, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, how the heck are you? Doing well, man. I'm not committing any crimes. Uh, okay. I'm innocent. Uh, I, I'm giving my due process here. I do not want to be accused of doing anything, especially tampering. All right? I'm not tampering at all right now with anything. Are you, are you saying this for the FBI agent or NSA agent that might be list, that listens to our podcast? Is that what you're saying? Or, or the ATF also. Or the ATF. I, I have no idea why they would want to be involved in the college football recruiting portal world. Hey, man, but... tampering is serious business, buddy. <laughs> yeah, apparently to some people – uh, out there in the Pittsburgh area. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into Jordan Addison and tampering and FBI and the whole portal deadline that just passed. But very quickly, Gerard, did you did you see that I got a tattoo? Did you were you aware that I was getting a tattoo on Sunday for the show? You have not commented at all, so I'm 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 just checking if you were even aware that that happened. That you got a tattoo? I heard that you were getting a tattoo for uh, I think you were you were getting a tattoo for Twitter followers, right? Yeah, but you ha- you didn't like reach out or anything. You didn't comment on about it or anything. So I'm just like wondering, did you realize that it happened already? Oh no, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't realize it happened. So you got so you got how many how many followers did you 10, get out of it? Ten k, ten k, ten thousand. Okay, well, hey, <laughs> good job. <laughs> You got 10,000 followers out of it, or you got... No, 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 I got to 10,000 followers. I did not get an additional 10,000 followers. I probably got... I I got like 900 followers out of it. Oh, my... Wow, for a tattoo, huh? Well, I hope you're looking forward to getting the tattoo otherwise. I I would say so. I would say so. I, I don't think... I wanted a tattoo, and I think this was a fun way to get the first one out the way, you know? Just get it out the way. Just clear the... Clear the cachet, just get it out there. Yeah, so you're looking forward to, you know, eventually getting like a full sleeve and, you know, being like a, you know, former spec ops guy, you know, like with all the tattoos and any neck tattoos in your future? Like 20,000, is it like, hey, I'm going to get a neck tattoo? What did you get the tattoo of? Uh, 10K. No, no, no. What did but what did you get it of? Like, what's the tattoo actually say, or or what's the picture of it? Ten K. We're having a dude. Where's my car moment right here? I it's a it's ten K. Oh, wait, <laughs> you got a tattoo that says ten K? It's ten K. Jared, you can pull it up on my Twitter right now. I know you don't use oh. Twitter. You got to you probably have to re-download the app on your phone, but it's right there. There's it's like pinned on my profile. You can see it. Did you add Elon Musk on it? Maybe you get a retweet from him and you could get 10K just out of that. He'll give me 10K Twitter shares? I feel like you need to get more 
out of this than 900 followers for a tattoo that says 10k that's 10k they're gonna think that you like run marathons or something i don't know that's that, what everyone see, says you've opened up a pandora's box but see this is a lot of people get tattoos for this reason they want to break the ice and they're introverts and it's like hey i've got a tattoo of something it says something or it's a picture of somebody and somebody goes hey what what is that about and then you got a conversation started so i can see where you were thinking that because you know people may or may not know this i know he is now the host of you know like five different podcasts but chris trevino is a very quiet individual he does not speak a lot sometimes we have to really try to get stuff out of him even in person like he's the worst he's the worst on the phone like you call Chris and it's like, Hey Chris, what's going on? And he answers the phone like he's a hostage or, or, or like he's, he's like, you know, the, the last survivor Asleep. of Mariupol or something. He uh, like, he's been stabbed or and and then, and then you spend another 10, 10 minutes, 15 minutes talking. And he said three words. And then in person, it's not a whole lot more. He doesn't have a lot more to divulge. So I kind of see the thinking now behind getting the tattoo. People will see that. They'll think you're a marathon runner. And then you'll say, no, 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 no. I have 10,000 followers on Twitter. Look, I, I, I'm not saying that was my motive. I think that's an added bonus to the introvertedness talking to people. I don't think that's actually going to happen. I haven't had one person ask me about it yet, but I feel like we've spent too much time on this tattoo. I am not the cold open, Gerard. I did want to get your thought. This is what you wanted. You said, hey, did you see my tattoo? It's, it's all coming together now. Now but you just see. hadn't, you hadn't mentioned it at all. I just wanted to know. This is, this, this was the point. We got you, we got to talk about your tattoo. That's, that was, I, it all makes sense to me now. I think all the viewers know now, or well, not viewers, but listeners, you know, the viewers of your tattoo, though, on on Twitter, they're all they're all pulling it up now. People are going, "God, I got to see this tattoo." Good job, Chris. You got you pro- you might have gotten even three hundred followers out of that. I got five more followers just because I brought it up here. But let's let's jump into the cold open, and you know, the cold open could be transfers, just like what's left, what's on the board officially, which we're going to get into. It could be Jordan Addison. Him himself could just be in the entire episode and sort of the whole situation surrounding USC and Addison and all those kind of Twitter rumors. But I wanted to make it more broad. And what I wanted to do is make it USC the villain. Now, this has been a narrative on social media since the Jordan Addison sort of reports first came out, you know, first reported by Bruce Feldman and Pete Thamel uh, last week and how Blitnikoff winner Jordan Addison, you know, is mulling a transfer. USC expected to be that that destination he's going to end up at, and it sent everyone into into a stir that that day came out and and the the days following and the week following, and there's been a lot of accusations thrown about about Twitter about tampering and sort of people calling for the FBI to get involved. And people, Lincoln Riley's been trending multiple days, just, you know, Pittsburgh fans, Oklahoma fans bashing him, and reports of Pat Narduzzi, Pittsburgh head coach, calling Lincoln Riley multiple times to voice his displeasure and sort of has gotten the the talk rolling about NIL and sort of 
how college football has turned into this uh, free agency, essentially. Like, any, no one is safe. Anybody can get poached, uh, including, you know, a major award winner. And Addison is the first major award winner to ever enter the portal. And, it, you know, it's a question to be seen, you know, will one day we see a Heisman winner enter the portal? You know, that would probably be, like, the pinnacle of it in terms of how crazy you could get. But I wanted to touch on this subject of USC being the villain. And I wanted you to kind of look at these three talking points. One being, what does it mean to be a villain in college football? Two, what does USC need to do to become the villain uh, in college football, one of the main villains? Because while everyone is pointing them out, making them out to be the villain right now during this week of Jordan Addison pandemonium, they are not the villain right now. I mean, I think Lincoln Riley does have a little bit of villain in him right now just because of how he left and people are wanting to push that button all the time in terms of, you know, he's such a polarizing figure. But I don't think USC as a whole is a villain again. I think they're moving towards that. But a lot needs to happen before they, they officially enter that space. And then the last one, just because you, being a veteran in this game and having covered multiple USC teams in multiple cycles and multiple eras of USC football, when was USC the most villainous? When was it at the height of its villain powers and just sort of living in that 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 situation and that experience? And I know you're going to talk forever, so you can attack that any way you want, Gerard. Well, I wouldn't talk forever, but those are three pretty broad questions. So going back to the first question is – it just to make USC out the villain because of what's gone on with the transfer portal is, is that we got to go back. Cause you, you, your questions are pretty long. <laughs> what was the first question? Let's, let's get back to the first question. Let's, let's go circle back. It's what does it mean to be a villain in college football? Okay. What does it mean to be a villain in college football? in your, in your eyes? I, you know, honestly, I think being a villain in college football is often not a good thing. I think it tends to it tends to revolve around the programs that have a bit of a sideshow to what they do on the field. I, I think the thought is, oh, they're the villain. Everybody hates them because they're so good and they win all the time. But I don't know that that's necessarily true. Like if we look at professional sports, even the Dallas Cowboys are often the villain or the Raiders are the villain. But they are never the great team that is winning all the time. You know, it's it's New England, it's other teams. I don't know that villain necessarily is tied into how good of a football program you are. Um, jumping to your third question, and I'll be out of order here, but in terms of where, where USC was the villain, um, I think it was probably most with Lane Kiffin. And it was because Lane Kiffin was outspoken. It was because Lane Kiffin left Tennessee under, under sort of controversial circumstances, um, and it created sort of a bit of a sideshow with USC, and it gave people something to latch on to and to attack USC about. I would say, you know, with college football in terms of the teams that are very good, is Alabama a villain? I, I mean, I'm sure in some people's eyes, 
they're the villain. But if you were going to ask most Trojan fans right now, or you're asking, you know, somebody outside of Auburn fans or, or maybe Georgia fans or a rival, because of, of course, USC, when they're good, is always the villain in the eyes of Notre Dame fans or UCLA fans. I mean, I think you shoot USC last year, winning four games, still the villain in UCLA <laughs> eyes fans. I mean, that, that, that's, that, that's always going to be something with UCLA. I think, uh, USC is always going to be the villain no matter how many games they win. But I think in general, we're talking about college football as a whole. I don't think that corresponds. I don't think that, you know, Alabama is the villain because they won a lot. I think a lot of people have respect for Nick Saban and a lot of people respect what they've been able to do. Now there's allegations and all Alabama just cheats and Alabama this and Alabama that. But at the end of the day, Alabama always seems to exploit the rules that are there to be exploited. You know, I mean, talk about the transfer portal specifically. I mean, Alabama might be coming away from this a better team uh, the last two years than not. And you would think with the transfer portal, oh, that's going to create more parity. You know, all these top players that go to Alabama, Alabama stacks the roster and they're going to go and they're not going to want to sit around Alabama anymore. You know, the same with Georgia, the same with Ohio state, but these football programs are actually benefiting. They're getting some very good players. I mean, Henry Toto last year, they got from Tennessee, which was a huge get for, for Alabama. That was a, a big need that they needed. And they plugged that guy in. Uh, they've gotten a few players and the guys that have left have been players that just really weren't good enough to, to be factors for them to, to contribute. So, you know, Alabama, I'm sure there's, there's times where they're talked about as, as the, the bad guy, uh, Ohio state's the bad guy, but I tend to think that villain, at least in my perception, in my opinion, it tends to revolve around the programs that are always getting, getting into something and there's controversy. I don't think USC wants to be a villain. I don't think, they want college football to look at them as a villain. I think you want to win and you want to gain the respect of college football by what you do on the field and the players that you produce and the, you know, the production that you have uh, as a football team rather than all the peripherals um, being controversial. I, I don't think that necessarily works in USC's favor. The last team in college football that I remember that was the bad guy, that was a villain, that was a very good team, were those Miami teams back with Jimmy Johnson. Um, those teams, you know, they had a lot of stuff going on, and they sort of wore that as a badge. Uh, but again, that was program that was very good, but they had a lot of controversy. There was a lot of stuff going on off the field. Uh, there was a lot of uh, trash talk that came from that program. Uh, and, you know, it was like, well, is it trash talk or is it just swagger? Well, it was trash talk and swagger. And that was sort of a, a villainous team. That was a a team that I think college football as a whole, football fans as a whole looked at and said, oh, they're, they're like the, the bad guy of college football. Um, but that's the last team that I remember that really was a dominant team that everybody kind of sort of hated <laughs> to, in unison. Um, I think a lot of the teams, again, going back to Pete Carroll, I don't think they were the villain of college football. I, I, I can understand – Trojan fans sort of feeling that way and and maybe thinking that way. But truth be told, I think a lot of people had respect for Pete Carroll and they just thought USC was a really good football team. You know, there there really wasn't a lot of controversy around USC, uh, not until you had the sanctions. 
uh, which, you know, Pete Carroll was on his way out or he was, he was out. He was, he'd already left to Seattle at that point. And then, you know, you had, you know, Lane Kiffin that took over. And so Lane got slapped with the sanctions. And then, you know, there was other things that, that he created that again, were sort of a sidebar to what was happening on the football field. And I think that created more of a sort of villain bad guy uh, persona uh, for, for college football. You make a lot of interesting and good points in terms of, you know, maybe you don't want to be the villain as a college program. I don't think really any head coach or administration would set out to kind of want to have the, the role of that villain tag. Um, but I, I brought up the question and I made it the cold open just because looking at social media, it seems like USC fans are sort of reveling in the fact that they're being hated um, once again and sort of they're getting all this sort of not backlash, but people want to hate on the Trojans. People want to hate on the West Coast. And I think maybe that just comes with the, the, the love of wanting to be seen and be seen as relevant again because obviously USC hasn't been relevant in quite some time. And, you know, the last six months, that is completely 180. And if you're being hated, that means you're being talked about. And I think we can both agree that it's much better to be the villain than to be the clown in college football. Yeah, exactly. And I think people do maybe tie being relevant and being talked about together a little bit, maybe too much, because, you know, Listen, there's some football programs out there. Tennessee is a great example of a football program that's been talked about because of all the things that have happened there with all the craziness. And yet, you know, are, are they really relevant in the grand scheme of things? College football-wise, is Alabama really in fear of Tennessee becoming great because of the things that have gone on? No, they're not being talked about in that context. And so – Right now, there's there's a little bit of trepidation, I think. It's more of a, a Pac-12 thing. I think fa- Pac-12 fan bases are talking about USC in such a way that there is definitely some fear that USC is going to become dominant again, and they will kind of be afterthoughts. Um, and, and, you know, this period of time where you had USC from sanctions to the point where you hire Lincoln Riley – there was a big gap there for one of those Pac-12 programs to really get their foot in the door and to establish themselves as being dominant. And and at first it was Stanford. Oh, Stanford's going to be the team, Stanford, Stanford. And then Harbaugh left. Stanford sort of never really did anything with that. UCLA never got any real traction. Jim Moore came along and it looked like, okay, you know, maybe UCLA sort of turning the corner and they're doing some different things culturally. And it just went nowhere. And Oregon's always kind of sort of been there as well. But Oregon was competitive when UC, when USC was dominant. They were still a program up there. And then Chip Kelly came along. And really, they were actually the first. Actually, it was Chip Kelly in Oregon. And then, you know, he gets busted for recruiting violations. And then he leaves. And then Oregon sort of falls off. And then that was when Stanford, you know, took over. And you had Jim Harbaugh there. And then, you know, David Shaw's taken over. And none of those programs have really been able to sort of establish themselves. And the, the fan bases know it. And you see it come up on the message boards all the time. Like, man, we, man, USC had freaking Clay Helton as head coach, and we couldn't do anything with that. 
We couldn't. We didn't get anything. We didn't get anywhere with that. We. It's you know, like the we 10K up, tattoo. What? I got. I got 900 followers out of 10K. Was Again, it worth? It? Ringing it back. I don't want to talk about my tattoo. I don't have any. We we're talking about. I was, just, I was just pointing out a, a, a parallel. Uh, I was just that, pointing that, out a parallel to something we talked about no earlier. Parallel. Zero that's parallel called, there. That's Zero called parallel. a callback. It's called a callback. Anyways, so uh, tattoo. <clears throat> Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think there was, like, a, an opportunity that feels missed by a lot of Pac-12 fans because they fear, like, Lincoln Riley's going to come in and he's going to dominate the Pac-12 just like he really dominated the Big 12. And that feels like an opportunity missed. So even before it's happened, I think there's that feeling of, you know, direct threat. Like, this is ominous. This is going to happen. But nationally... I don't get the sense people are like, oh yeah, USC's gonna be back. USC's gotta, they've gotta prove they're back in the picture. They gotta go beat somebody. All right. They gotta go start beating Notre Dame. They gotta go and have some out of conference, you know, games against some good top 25 opponents and go down south and, and they gotta do it on the field before people are gonna say, okay, USC is actually relevant. And again, that has nothing to do with these peripherals and NLI and, uh, or NIL, I should say. And uh, the, the transfer portal and all this kind of stuff, that doesn't really – I don't think that really matters a whole lot. It, it really depends upon what you do on the field. So you're asking me, you know, when does USC become the villain? It, it, well, when things outside of football become as big as the football and and fans can latch on to that – and, you know, like, like in this particular situation with Jordan Addison and, and all this talk of tampering and this, that, and the other, you know, I mean, OU fans are just going to jump on that to go, oh, CCC, yeah, we told you he's a bad guy. Lincoln Riley, you saw what he did to us. He broke our hearts. He's an evil man. We told you guys, we tried to tell you. And they're still latched onto that. And that, and that's, and that's something again, that has nothing to do with winning football games or losing football games. And, and it's obviously a lot to do about nothing, in, in my opinion, just based on – and I report – and I've, you know, posted about this a lot in the Peristyle just in terms of various different episodes and situations that have come up with transfers. And we know about the Jay Toya transfer, and I brought that up as an example the other day because that was – that was one that USC was very upset about. Right. And I don't want to go into too much details, free podcast. And there's plenty been talked about in the war room and, and on the peristyle about it. And so I'll just say Jay Toya, who was a freshman defensive tackle at USC, uh, whose cousin, Stanley Tafu, who's still at USC, uh, transferred and shocked everybody transferring from USC to UCLA. And there was a lot of allegations and a lot of claims made behind the, the scenes about what UCLA was doing to get Jay Toya out of the program and into their program. And with all of this talk and all this, yeah, you know, USC is going to fight it and USC this and then and this, this happened and that happened. What it, what happened? What, what actually happened was Jay Toya played in the first game of last season for UCLA and there was zero consequences. There was zero NCAA this, that, or anything. And it all went, it was like a, you know, a, a, a fart in the wind, man. It just, it was there and then it wasn't. And so when people start talking about Jordan Addison tampering and this, that, and the other, you know what? This is not 
Lincoln Riley's first rodeo. This is not USC's first rodeo when it comes to getting transfers. And I would have to assume that they dot their I's and cross their T's when it comes to these things since Caleb Williams. Because Caleb Williams was obviously a very, very scrutinized transfer. Oklahoma, as a state, was completely up in arms about Lincoln Riley leaving. And so you can imagine that their star quarterback is following that there's going to be a ton of scrutiny. And USC had to do that by the book, despite all the claims of tampering, because they came from Oklahoma fans and they came from the Oklahoma uh, 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 coaching staff that was still there, the administration, everybody. Everybody was talking about tampering, uh, just like they were talking about Roy Manning and how it was illegal for him to be recruiting Damani Jackson uh, before he was technically a part of the Trojans. Like all this stuff happens, but at the end of the day, the actual results tend to be minimal. They tend to be uh, not even worth talking about. So I, I kind of think this is exactly where the Jordan Addison thing goes. Whether he ends up at USC or not, I don't think that there's a lot to talk about with tampering and, and, and the end result, it's just a lot of waste of breath. And again, people trying to, yeah, create that sort of sideshow about USC. And that's not what USC needs to be focused on. USC needs to be focused on just winning football games and, and get, and gathering your respect on the football field rather than with all these things that are happening, which, you know, they don't really necessarily equate to wins and losses. So are you, Gerard Martinez, confirming that the FBI will not be getting involved in this situation? Yeah, I have a feeling that they're not going to be involved. I I don't necessarily think the NCAA will be involved. I'm sure that there will be things that will come up and, and, you know, they'll be turned in. But I, I, I hate to be dismissive about such things, right? Because, you know, hey, I go back to where USC was under investigation for the Reggie Bush allegations. And everybody was sort of dismissive, you know, during that investigation. And obviously the NCAA used that as an opportunity to go after USC. And that's, you know, a whole nother can of worms. But so you, you do, you know, try to have some, a bit of appreciation for the fact that, you know, you've got a coaching staff that is, is, you know, saying that the, the USC is basically cheated. I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty serious thing especially how they went to the press with it and everything that was leaked but again I I have to think that with everything that's gone on with the transfer portal and as many transfers as USC has that they're doing things by the book and it's just a lot of times coaching staffs that are out of the loop or they're a little behind these sort of trends or evolutions in college football because I've seen USC on that side as well. I have seen USC not know from a compliance standpoint necessarily that something can be done, that, that you know, th- these coaches are doing this, like Oregon's doing this thing. And it's like, well, that's illegal. And you get you hear all this, well, oh, my gosh, well, you know, Oregon's this and that. And it's like not. It's just they, they found a loophole. <laughs> they found a way to be able to do this, and they've been doing it, and they will continue to do it and exploit it for as long as it's exploitable. And so a lot of times you see that, you know, with, with, you know, the schools that are recruiting well or doing things, they're not doing things illegally. They've just found a loophole and they're just exploiting it. And other schools that don't know about it or don't understand it are crying foul. 
and they just look stupid because nothing happens at the end of the day. And supposedly Pittsburgh's coaching staff has made some claims, even with Notre Dame and some other guys. And, and listen, it, you know, it, it, it sucks to see guys that you've developed leave the program for greener pastures, just as sure. you know, you, you have them in a point where you feel like you're going to make a move and you're getting traction to becoming a competitive football program on a national level. I understand that. And, and so I, I get it, but that's really the reality behind the scenes. What really happens is it tends to be that you're just behind on what's, what's, what you can do, what can happen, you know, what, what, what the possibilities are from recruiting to transfers, guy, getting guys eligible, all these things, man, there's constant evolution within the compliance department and you really got to push and make sure that you're not behind on this stuff because you will be sitting there in your office crying foul while other programs are stacking their roster with good players. I can, I can understand where like a guy like Narduzzi, you know, a head coach is coming from in that sense, because yeah, you're right. He did sort of have these sort of tampering claims uh, about a few months earlier or last year about Notre Dame and Kenny Pickett and how they were sort of who became a first round pick. Uh, and sort of these, these claims that Notre Dame was sort of trying to, to get Pickett to come, come play for them. And I can understand, you know, obviously I wouldn't, Pittsburgh is not considered, you know, one of those blue blood programs, you know, they are, you know, they're doing a pretty good run in the ACC and, you know, looking at it from Narduzzi's point of, point of view, you know, I just lost Pickett. I lost my wide receiver coach to Texas. I lost my OC. But I still have Jordan Addison, this guy I can build around. A Blitnikoff winner, the best wide receiver in the country, the best wide receiver and one of the best players we've had here since Larry Fitzgerald, who, you know, ended up being pretty good. So I could see sort of that frustration when a guy you brought in and developed out of Maryland, you know, a guy who was ranked 275, you know, not super high, but a, a guy you you kind of snuck under the rug or a, a gem you found in that in that class to come in and help turn to the best wide receiver in the country. I can, I can see why you'd be a little bit miffed about, you know, him being taken and poached by, you know, a blue blood program. And it was an interesting sort of decision to sort of, you know, kind of leak those things out to the press and sort of have these shaded tweets out there, you know, about me, not we, and Keaton Slovis tweeting uh, culture over wins, culture wins or something like that. So I think it was just like interesting how that was handled. I, I wouldn't say it was handled well, but I can understand why Narduzzi is, is miffed about losing a guy who, you know, you were going to have to build around for, for next season on offense. Well, it can build around Keaton Slovis now. Uh, okay. Culture yeah. Wins. That's, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's one of those things where, you know, Keaton probably needs to stay off Twitter. Um, do you want to talk about Jordan Addison though in USC? We do a transition, a segue right into the recruiting aspects of Jordan Addison and USC uh, potentially recruiting him. Yeah, let's just get the basics out of the way. He is officially in the portal. He hit the portal on Tuesday, I believe. The the sort of the last second he could have, you know, there's that 48 hour window that schools have, but he hit that about in the afternoon, so he's free to talk to other schools. Now, does USC need Jordan Addison at wide receiver? No, it does not. 
But you certainly want a guy like Jordan Addison on your team. You know, over 1,500 receiving yards, fourth in the nation last year, 17 touchdowns, which was tied for the nation's lead uh, with the kid from uh, Western Kentucky last season. He, his season totals were only second at Pitt to a guy named Larry Fitzgerald, who we mentioned. So guy put up some numbers, was a freshman All-American as a true freshman out of Frederick, Maryland, a DMV guy. Obviously has some connections to Caleb Williams. We do know that uh, Addison was in Las Vegas over the weekend. He was on the West Coast. He was out here uh, in Las Vegas doing destroying the YouTube channel, the YouTube, the Facebook YouTubers event out there. Malachi Nelson was also part of that. He is he has a relationship with destroying. So you know they were on the same coast together in the same city, and you know reports came out today that Addison is in LA. He has been having a throwing session with uh, Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback and Heisman winner. So I can I can assure you, there's probably some recruiting going on there. And that that's the latest with with uh, Addison. He's going to be uh, officially courted by all those programs: Alabama, Texas, where his wide receiver coach is now. Obviously, USC. There's a lot of Power Fives that are going to be after him and. You know, the latest was there isn't sort of this rush to make a decision. It might end up being like the Caleb Williams situation where, you know, everyone felt it was going to be USC, but it took several weeks for that to officially come to fruition. Um, and things are weird. Obviously, sometimes in the portal, guys will enter. Two days later, it's it's a done deal. Or like the Williams situation, you enter and it, you take, it feels like a year before the, the decision is made. So, this one's going to be interesting to follow, but that's sort of the latest going on with him. Yeah, I feel like we did this backwards. We should have really actually opened with that and then get into the whole tampering USC villain talk. Um, we do things differently here, Jared. Yeah, obviously. We, well, we got scooped a little bit because we had to kind of sit on the Addison thing, but he is in L.A. And we knew he was in L.A. and we knew that uh, he was with Malachi Nelson. And um, there's definitely a good chance he's going to be on campus at USC. I think you can, you can pretty much put two and two together. Uh, he'll probably be visiting USC this week. Um, maybe I've already been on campus. Who knows? Uh, but the longer it goes on, you do wonder if it benefits USC. You know, uh, it, there is the sort of parallels that you have with Caleb Williams and the controversy and how Caleb Williams allowed time to pass even though it looked like USC was the school that he was destined to go to from the start but then you also have Alabama and you have these other schools that seem to be doing a very good job uh getting some of these guys in and Alabama again I'll say it they have definitely exploited the transfer porthole as well as anybody now they don't get the numbers because they don't need the numbers as Ole Miss or USC. But in terms of quality, they're going out there and they're getting guys that can start for them right away. And so they've done a very, very good job exploiting the portal. And USC is really in a spot where they're trying to get as many good players as possible that can make an impact, but they also have to recruit for some depth. So, Jordan Addison, definitely up there. As you said before, do they need Jordan Addison? They don't. Trust me. And I know I'm speaking, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. 
Jordan Addison was a, you know, 6'5", 290-pound defensive tackle, this would be a much, much bigger deal, quite <laughs> frankly, for USC fans. Trojan fans would be way more just on edge about the potential of getting this player. Another receiver is like, okay, it's great. He's a very productive receiver. He's very similar in terms of Mario Williams, in terms of his build and kind of what he brings to the table. I don't even know necessarily where he fits in uh, with everything when you put Gary Bryant into the mix as well. Um, But, you know, hey, good players are good players. And so you don't want to pass up on a good player. And there are some great players available in the transfer portal. I mean, there are still some very good players. Unfortunately for USC, and this is going to hurt them in the immediate future, there are not a lot of good linemen. And they missed, as far as we can tell, I mean, unless there's some names that leak into the portal here in the next few hours or what have you, uh, this is going to probably go up on a Thursday recording on a Wednesday. It's very unlikely they're going to get the offensive lineup that they really needed. They really needed offensive linemen, and they got one. That's a that's that's going to be an issue for them, and we know it. And it's going to be one of those things where they're going to just hope that they stay healthy on the offensive line, but. They don't have anybody there that's going to step in at left tackle and is going to be a franchise-type guy. You know, I mean, uh, the kid they got that from Virginia, uh, whose name escapes me for whatever reason. Bobby right Haskins. Now. Yeah, Bobby Haskins, who's hurt and then got foot surgery and all that. You know, hey, hopefully he works out and he, and he ends up being a guy that can contribute. But, you know, that that's really where you needed those guys and you needed that plug and play player. You needed it at left tackle and you needed a defensive tackle and you didn't get those guys. So that's one aspect of this. That's uh, sort of the, the, the part of the portal where USC missed. Um, but there are several uh, good players that are still available. Um, and we can talk about those. Obviously one in terms of the big names that uh, has already talked about visiting USC is Jacoby Covington, who was a four-star cornerback coming out of Arizona, went to Washington to be a, a part of what, you know, Jimmy Lake had a really good run of defensive backs that he was getting and producing and putting into the NFL. And Covington was one of those guys that jumped on board and wanted to be part of that um, and didn't work out. And obviously new coaching staff up there. And he's a guy that could be an immediate impact player at cornerback. And so he's going to visit USC this weekend. He's going to be, I think, in town Thursday. And so that's a guy that USC, uh, Dante Williams, and, and, you know, do you need quarterbacks? Do you need defensive backs? They've actually done very well with transfers at that position. And I think receiver and defensive back seem to be the two positions where you're going to find talent in the portal. There's just going to be guys there. It's like you miss on a guy. Just wait a couple of days. There'll be another really good player at those positions in the portal. But with linemen, that's where it's harder. They're fewer and farther between um, trying to get uh, those type of players that uh, can come into your program. And so um, that's uh, that's always going to be tough to, to get uh, those big-time players. Um, there's potentially some defensive linemen that are still in the portal that USC could get that could be game-changers. And so – you know, I'll let you kind of talk about some of these guys that are still available that uh, could definitely help the football program next fall. Definitely feels, you know, outside of offensive line and maybe Addison, potentially a running back too. You know, it definitely feels like the portal run here to, to going to the summer and the fall will be 
heavily defensive minded. You know, they picked up Eric Gentry. Excuse me. They picked up Eric Gentry, the uh, Arizona State linebacker that we're going to get to in a little bit. But we did talk about him on the last episode. Uh, Bryson Shaw was the first one for this for this uh, this new period of transfer pickups at safety. You know, Jacoby Covington, as you mentioned, I would argue they do need at least one more cornerback. It was very thin there in the spring. You're, you're going to be a lot healthier um, going into the fall with Makai Blackman uh, back, Damani Jackson further along, Josh Jackson further along. But I think you still need another body in that room, especially since you move Latrell McCutcheon, you know, the Oklahoma cornerback that they picked up, to safety. Could he move back to cornerback? Sure. You know, the big name is Jermaine uh Low, I, keep, I always butcher the last name. Lole, Jermaine Lole, the a star defensive tackle, you know, uh, out of Long Beach Poly. It was a three-star composite, four-star in our rankings. You know, Arizona State got him. You know, he had that connection with uh, Gerard, who's the former Antonio yeah, Pierce. Pierce. Yeah, he had that that Poly pipeline going strong. Got him out there, became a star. You know, really broke out. In that 2020 season, uh, the COVID year, going to that 2021 season, he was regarded as one of the best defensive tackles in the nation. Unfortunately, he had that tricep surgery, missed the rest of the year. You know, I've been reporting this week, you know, USC stands in a good spot. You know, I've I've talked to sources, and Lole wants to come home. He wants to be closer to his family. His brother plays at Long Beach Poly. I haven't heard anything new working on that for more this week, but – I haven't heard anything that moves me off USC being uh, in really good position for him. The other Arizona defensive lineman, Omar Norman Lott, who USC recruited the previous staff out of NorCal, he is also in the portal. You know, if you get Lole and Norman Lott, I think that that settles it for you at, at defensive line. I mean, you got a, a guy who could start right away at that, that nose guard spot. Or, you know, flip Thule inside and have him play at that defensive tackle spot. Whatever. Lots of versatility. Lole started out on the edge so you can move him around. And then Norman Lott, who was a really good rotational player for the Sun Devils last year. Some thought he might even be the starter with Lole down for the year, but didn't that being the case. It's probably going to be a starter this year if he stayed. Now Arizona State is basically down to two walk-ons at defensive line. It's real rough over there. But you get those two guys. I think you call it a day with the defensive line. I think a lot of a lot of USC fans would be ecstatic by essentially beefing up that that front, which needs an impact guy and some more depth. You know, Carson Tabarachi, is that I say that right, Gerard? Tabarachi, yep. Carson Tabarachi. I just off the cuff just did that. You know, the the former Utah linebacker. He's a young linebacker. I believe he's a redshirt freshman. You know, Blair Angulo reported earlier, I believe over the weekend, that USC is in a really good spot for him too. And that's a guy, you know, you already added Gentry. We talked about how a linebacker could use some talent infusion, could use some depth infusion. You know, they have a former safety playing the sort of that backup will spot. You need more guys there. Gentry's coming in, probably going to push Raylan Goforth for the starting job. You get uh, Carson in, that's another guy that can push on that two deep and kind of build out that competition. You still got the two young guys. And to interject, he played both ways for Utah. Uh, Mm -hmm. So guy that also has some potential at halfback, which is a position that USC is kind of just using the tight end at and not really using a true halfback, or at least not the profile of player that they used at Oklahoma. So 
Yeah, um, that's a guy that, you know, potentially could could go either side of the football for USC. If, if we could jump back to Jermaine Lole, I think um, the interesting thing, I, I mean, I pulled up his film from Long Beach Poly, and I have to say, I don't know how he ended up a three-star. He is really good. Um, he is explosive off the football. And he was explosive as an offensive lineman. I mean, he just looked really good. Now, he was a little smallish for an offensive lineman, but again, it's the West Coast. Guys are 250, 260. They're not going to come out and be 300 pounds. But he was absolutely explosive as a, as a player out of high school. And so you always have a little bit of those reservations about a guy that's coming off an injury that kept him out the whole year. You know, you don't want to see those recurring. The good thing is it's tricep, and so it's not – you know, sort of a, a a muscle or a ligament or something that, you know, it has a history of being a reincurring injury. You know, when you start to talk about your feet, you know, and you start talking about knees, backs, those are what you don't want to mess around with. You know, you really got to vet uh, those injuries really well. Um, and I don't know how well you can vet medical injuries when you're talking about transfers. You know, I don't know if you can actually have guys uh, go and take x-rays and go through and, and I, I don't know how in depth they get with that but USC's obviously been burned by a couple guys that transferred in who had injuries who never really did anything and so you don't want to bring more of those players in you got to try to get guys uh, that can actually contribute uh, but that's definitely a guy Jermaine Lole who I would bring in and take that chance a because it is a position of need. I, they don't have interior guys that really have that ability to be disruptors in the offensive backfield. And he is. He's absolutely one of those guys that's quick enough, explosive enough to be a disruptor in the offensive backfield to actually get a pass rush from the interior defensive line. And uh, he's a local guy, and he's a guy that I think because of that, that injury, I, I, I think that's – something that you go, all right, this is a guy we need, you know, and you and you kind of put that uh, in the back of your head and you cross your fingers and you hope he's healthy and he's ready to go in the fall. And when I look at that injury, you know, obviously a tricep, I'm a little more uh, willing to take a, a chance on that because I, I it's not like multiple foot injuries or multiple like an Achilles injury, which is always scary, especially for a big guy, or multiple knee injuries or stuff like that. You know, these are offensive linemen, or sorry, defensive linemen. They're in the trenches. They're getting beat up. They're getting t their arms are getting tangled up and twisted. And you know, you know, Nick Figueroa had a shoulder surgery. You know, multiple defensive. Uh, you know, Marlon had that back surgery, which a lot of people were were worried about. And he ended up coming back and you know being a very good starter for three years in the middle, getting just beat up all the time. You know, unsung hero down there. But you know, those guys, those defensive tackles, they get beat up a lot and. They get their arms tangled up, and they take a beating. So a tricep injury, you know, while is concerning, it's not – it's it's less concerning than, say, you know, knee injuries or foot injuries or, or the dreaded back injury for alignment. So I'm willing to, to look past that, I think, more more so than others, yeah, just, I don't, just based on that. I don't know when or how he got that injury. Um, I should have followed up with Chris Cartman, who runs uh, the ASU 24-7 site. Sun Devil Source, who does a, a fantastic job and, and is very cued in on all this kind of stuff. But 
that can be also a weight room injury. It could be something that actually, you know, was, was, was started weight training and then it sort of saw itself out when he was on the field or, or something like that. It, it, you know, yeah, it, that's just, it's just one of those injuries that you're like, okay, you know, it, it, you don't want anybody who's injured, you know, you don't want anybody again that uh, hadn't played for a year because of an injury, but that's a little a uh, bit more uh, palatable, I guess, if, if you want to call it that, um, bringing that player in uh, with that type of injury as opposed to like the, the other injury, even the, sh- the shoulders can be, a bit of a touch and go, you know, type of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, Lole would be, would be a really big get for them. Uh, he, it, it really be right on that level with Eric, uh, Gentry, although Gentry, I think is, you know, in terms of the upside that everybody talks about with his athleticism, maybe higher ceiling. Um, but yeah, the need sort of closes the gap there. I think a little bit, uh, with bringing in, um, a defensive lineman. And again, a defensive lineman, that's not only just a body, but a guy that's actually able to make a difference and make some plays in the interior of the defense, because that's going to be a big deal for USC. That's something that they kind of sort of lack. If they're not putting Tuli, Tui Pelotu in the middle next to Peely, and, and obviously Brandon Peely's coming away from an injury himself, um, you, you, yeah, you just don't have guys that can get upfield and attack. And Alex Grinch's defense, I mean, is, is, is perfect for that. You know, we talked about that with Earl Barquette. And Earl Barquette was pretty quiet during the uh, the, the spring. spring game. You know, we didn't get to really see him do a whole lot. And that's a guy that, you know, on film, again, looks like a really prototypical interior defensive lineman for Alex Grinch. And so there's there's high hopes for him to be a guy that can that can do some things, you know. But we haven't necessarily heard it haven't he hasn't been talked about a whole lot is oh man you know this was like a great steal or anything not not to say that you know the coaching staff is just kind of keeping it quiet and and you know we don't get to see a lot of that you know in practice as to who's really making big plays during the 11 on 11 and everything the only 11 on 11 we saw all spring was during the spring game so he just didn't do a whole lot in that game so we're kind of looking at that but you want to continue to bring in those guys that are very active as interior defensive linemen, guys that have the mobility to be able to stunt, to do TC stunts, to be able to trap stunt, to do all kinds of things, uh, to be able to get upfield and get some pressure on the quarterback or get some pressure on the run game in the offensive backfield. Because like I've said before, those negative plays for the offense are killers for college football. Uh, NFL, not quite as much, but in college football, man, you get a negative five, negative seven play in your series, and usually that's going to kill your series. You know, it's going to put you in a, a second along or a third along, and a lot of college teams just can't come back from that. They can't get first downs after that. So um, I think that would be a really huge to be able to bring in a player that can that can do that. He, you know, again, there's questions, and 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 I don't want to like you know overstate the contribution that he could make. I just see a lot of potential there uh, and him checking a lot of boxes, maybe not every box that USC needs on that defensive interior, but quite a few of them. And just to go back on the injury, I just looked it up really quickly. It appears that that injury occurred in those kind of summer fall camp practices, just, just injured it during practice and was seen in practice the next day in a sling. So it seemed like it was a practice injury and maybe it was something, you know, that was partially torn. He was just kind of playing through it. 
I would not be surprised, you know, those big defensive linemen playing through that, um, especially a Long Beach Poly guy. So um, we don't know, you know, if he comes to USC, we can ask him sort of the, the, the history with that, that injury, but seems like he's healthy now. And yeah, he would be a home run hire, home run addition. Sorry, not hire. Uh, but, but, but with NI, but with NIL, you know, NIL. Might be, maybe a little bit of a higher, uh, but that'd be a home run addition. Some of the other guys on this list. And now these aren't guys we're saying USC is going after. These are just kind of some of the top intriguing guys that are out there. You know, Quaverius couch, uh, crouch, excuse me, who was a linebacker running back, I believe out of high school, uh, out of Michigan state, Joseph Evans, the defensive lineman from Texas, Christian Williams with a K defensive lineman out of Oregon, you got a slew of wide receivers, uh, Marcus Washington out of Texas, Javier Hester out of Missouri, Cody Jackson, uh, former Oklahoma uh, signee. You know, if you get if USC gets Addison, you know, those guys are kind of moot. You don't really look at those guys. Uh, you have offensive lineman Ezra Dotson Oyetade, I believe, out of ASU. And then you have the interior offensive lineman, the guy who I was kind of looking at, Dimitri Emmanuel out of Charlotte. He was a three-year starter for them, all-conference guy, played right tackle for them, but he is like six foot two, three ten or something like that. He's not going to be a right tackle at, on anyone's Power Five offensive line, I don't think. He is an interior lineman all the way, and USC could use some significant interior offensive line help. But that'd be a guy you could possibly throw in there to to absolutely be on the two deep and push for push somebody in that starting role uh bringing more competition but a guy who's an experience has starts at right and left guard as well so he could play multiple positions on the interior but that was a guy i thought that was that was interesting and maybe usc is going to kick the tires on him yeah no no like surefire no amarius mims kind of type offensive lineman out there it's also interesting you know that usc was able to really keep their roster intact you know, that that was something that we kind of thought about. Were there be other guys that would be leaving the program as well, which would, you know, be even more of a sort of create more need for depth? And they do, I mean, they do have, I think it's like 13, 14 scholarship offensive linemen that are on the roster currently. And you've got, you know, a boatload of guys. You've got like a heavy sophomore freshman um, depth chart at offensive line. And it's, it is just a lot of guys, a lot of guys that haven't proven themselves necessarily guys that haven't gotten a lot of either playing time or um, haven't been in a, a position where they could really start. And so we thought, you know, there were some guys there were potential guys that would end up um, transferring out of USC and they, and they didn't. So, you know, it's good to have those bodies. And I think, you know, if you're going into the porthole, you have to get, guys that are at a certain ranking or you expect a certain amount of talent contribution production from and i think it was you know 89 was sort of that number that i thought that's kind of sort of where usc needs to be at with what they're looking for you can't just go in there and get bodies and just get guys to get guys especially when you know you have some players still i mean you you do have some bodies of your own already on the depth chart you want to get players that can make an impact. And so, you know, those guys that are listed there are predominantly all, you know, 89 and above type players at those positions. So they're, they're potential impact players. Like we said before, wide receiver doesn't seem like a huge position of need. 
And, but Jordan Addison is an outlier. He's a guy that you, you take regardless of position of need. He's the best player available. Um, there are other guys that you take that are probably a little lower that potentially, you know, you want because they're at a position of need. And I think Lole, I think is uh, like an 87 maybe. So he's a little below that 89 threshold, which in, you know, to contrast USC loses Elijah Winston, who I believe is an 89 in the portal. So, you know, that's for rating standpoint, obviously they're two different positions, but from a rating standpoint, that's sort of where it goes. And for me, I think, you know, most of the teams that are top 10 teams that have top 10 talent rosters are looking for 88, 89, 90 guys at the very least, you know, and, and if you're not that, then we need to work on keeping the guys that we have on our roster on our roster. There's some sort of weird breaking news with Jordan Addison. Can I just get your reaction to this? Yeah. Per source, Texas mega donor. Wait, is this real? This can't be real. Never mind. This isn't real. <laughs> this isn't real. I got got. Never mind. You got got. I, got I tell got. you what. Hey, you know what? This is something else that I know. And, and I mean, it's more war room stuff. But just in general, a lot of this stuff about Jordan Addison being uh, offered $5 million and $3 million, that's all BS. That's there's a lot of nonsense going on about this stuff, and there's a lot of people making up numbers, um, it, which you know kind of goes into you you feel a little dismissive of of some of the other stuff that's been coming up about Addison and even some of these other players because I, I think there's just a lot of a lot of talk and and I don't know if it's like you know the sort of the end is uh, the the world is ending and it's this sort of um, what do you what, what's the the chicken little chicken little um Foghorn leghorn <laughs> yeah really um it's the chicken little sort of attitude that people have with NIL and and transfer being the end of college football and it and it becomes this big dr- dramatic thing when it's really not you know <laughs> and they're just like oh my god players are being paid 10 million dollars now and this million dollars it all it almost all stemmed from the Nico Ayamayaleva reports that came from the athletic that he was getting $8 million to go to Tennessee. Like we've seen the contract and it's like, okay, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You know, uh, Quinn errors. It was, was, you know, $2 million or something like that for signing some autographs for Ohio state. There's just a lot that we don't know about the financials of this stuff. And it's a lot of hearsay and it's a lot of rumor. Texas A&M's recruiting class was worth $30 million. Like who says that? Who 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 actually has knowledge of those financials is really really speaking from a a, a, a place of a position of authority on that to to say yeah 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 we paid thirty million dollars for all these recruits like that's not something that I see anybody really putting out there or wanting to brag about because then you know the next class you're going to have to pay forty million dollars. Right. And then it's going to have to be $50 million. Like that's kind of one of those things that I just think right now there's a lot of just talk and it's not necessarily substance. It's just a bunch of people on the internet and on Twitter, just rattling off numbers and they're not real. Are you telling me that not everything I believe I see on the internet is real? I don't know, man. (laughs) 
Speaking of not real, there was some names that we had heard about big big time names about going into the portal like months ago. We kind of talked about them in the war war room, not not naming them by name, but just some guys that you know sort of that were floating out there in the the portal ether before it ever happened, like be on the lookout for these guys to potentially enter and going into this week. I know there was a lot of fever pitch about any of these these big boys entering. Did you kind of want to talk about those guys? Yeah, so we got some housekeeping, you know, because we've talked about some potential big names going into the portal. And, and again, I mean, schools are working and using NIL and branding and whatever they can to keep their guys on the roster as well as they're working to potentially land guys out of the portal. So, you know, the the first name that we heard that was uh, potentially going to transfer out was Daryl uh, or Darnell Washington out of Georgia, the big 6'7", 250-pound tight end. And we had heard last year, you know, kind of like towards the beginning of the season that there was a lot of talk that he wasn't happy. Uh, Brock Bowers, the Napa Valley, California tight end who ended up going to Georgia had a tremendous year last year and basically jumped him on the depth chart. And they had another tight end that played a lot too. Um, so Washington played some last year, but he's clearly not the guy for them right now. And he may even be playing a little bit out of position. There's some people that think he'd maybe be better playing defensive end. Um, he's not particularly fast, but he's big and he's uh, a very athletic player. Uh, but you know, that was something that we had heard quite a few times and it didn't happen. Now, you know, Georgia also had Amarius Mims jump into the portal and jump out of the portal. So Georgia's doing a good job of keeping their guys, the guys that they really want in the program right now. And a lot of people I think thought, you know, they've got a stacked roster. They won a national championship. Uh, they're going to get poached, right? Just like Alabama's going to get poached. But that's what I was saying in the opening these schools are doing a really good job uh, gaining players from the porthole that are going to be impact players more so than they're losing those type of players. Yes, Georgia lost guys to the transfer portal. Um, Alabama's lost some guys. But I don't think there's a lot of crying and, uh, you know, feelings of we really lost players that can contribute for us with either of those football programs. I think they feel like they've come out pretty well from all of this, and they picked up a couple players here and there that they feel are going to be really good players that are going to be able to play for them. So, um, you know, Washington was one of those guys that was talked about, and a lot of people talked about, and there was talk like, hey, you know, USC could definitely be in contention for him. And this was before Lincoln Riley and that Oklahoma staff, which had a pretty good – uh, relationship with Washington uh, got into the fold. So obviously when they came along, it was like, okay, you know, that's a guy that you got to look for because he's got, some, you know, a prior relationship with that Oklahoma staff. And Oklahoma was a school that he was looking at uh, more towards the end than he was USC. Uh, I think by, you know, the end of his junior year, USC was already sort of on the outs. They just did a really bad job recruiting him. Yeah, that's what I was told. I was told they just did not stay in contact with him. They just did not recruit him hard enough. And they were just not going to be a big player in his recruitment come his senior year. And that's how it played out. 
for USC. So uh, it was really less about USC and more about uh, the potential staff that they were putting together. Uh, another guy, Mason Smith, you know, we talked about, um, or, or I should say we didn't talk about by name, but being a big defensive tackle that uh, could be a, an immediate impact player for USC. Um, this is kind of through, uh, you know, player conversations and a lot of the scuttlebutt that happens. And obviously he's close with several players uh, that are at USC. Um, but, you know, he never officially visited USC. I, at least I don't recall him ever officially visiting USC. I don't believe so because it was COVID. And so he never actually got to USC. He's very close with Corey Foreman, who did take an unofficial visit to LSU. And there was that whole package deal uh, that they talked about, you know, and, and that was kind of silly because it was just, you know, it was just talk at that point. But uh, Macy Smith was another guy that definitely had some connections and definitely with all of the coaching turnover. And this is goes beyond just Ed Erdron. You know, you have to remember uh, Dave Aranda. Um, they've had a lot of coaches come and go at LSU over the past couple years. And so that's kind of affected Mason Smith a bit. And there was a lot of talk that Mason Smith was thinking about making a jump and that USC would be right at the top of his list, mainly because of his connections with the players that were at USC. And then obviously even with Caleb Williams, who had a relationship with him as well, being at USC. Now, Jamar Kane, who was the defensive line coach, or one of the defensive line coaches. He also had Calvin Thibodeau, who was at uh, Oklahoma, um, who ended up being fired. But Jamar Cain was potentially going to go to USC at one point. He had a good relationship with him. Jamar Cain ends up at LSU. So he's a defensive line coach, co-coordinator, defensive coordinator for Brian Kelly at LSU. So I think that helped, you know, keep him in place at LSU. And again, LSU was really working to try to make sure that they didn't get poached during this time. You know, that the, the Brian Kelly era – didn't start off with a bunch of guys leaving. And so they actually, they, they did pretty well. I mean, they, they defended, I think as well as anybody, because there was a lot of thought that just the cultural fit of Brian Kelly and everything, they were going to lose more good players than they did. So um, they did lose some guys, but I think that there was potential to lose uh, more guys than they actually did. The big one that people weren't talking about, that nobody really... No, no one talked about. I found it hilarious. It was always Mason Smith, but no one named this guy, which I thought yeah, was interesting. And, 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 I mean, listen, I mean, you know, it never came to fruition, so who knows how serious it really was. But, again, it was more from, you know, kind of the player scuttlebutt and, you know, some trainer sources and some stuff you hear behind the scenes. Maybe it was just water cooler talk. But Brian Breesey's name came up a couple times from two different sources that could be potentially looking to leave Clemson. And I know he got an NIL deal early in the year and he got like a free car out of it and some other stuff, but there is even beyond that, some talk like from a brand standpoint, he felt like he might be able to do better than what Clemson was, was, was offering him. And there's been some turmoil there at Clemson within the coaching staffs. Uh, that's sort of been talked about a little bit, but I've heard it quite a few times and I heard, you know, this goes even into the crazy rumor that Brent Venables was looking at potentially going to USC with Lincoln Riley. And that's kind of a like, really? That that seems like craziness, you know. But the sources were good on it. And there were sources, you know, one of the sources was one that even had talked about Dave Aranda potentially ending up at USC as a defensive coordinator uh, before he got the head coaching job at Baylor. Um, now, I I'd talked about this and and. I think I talked about it on podcasts and maybe even mentioned it in the 
in the war room that Dave Aranda was not happy at LSU, that he wanted out of LSU. But this was like a couple of years before he actually ended up leaving LSU. So I kept hearing about it, hearing about it, but he wasn't going anywhere. So it's like, well, maybe it's just BS. Maybe it's, maybe it's not that true. But I mean, in hindsight, it definitely was true. Um, and we, we've kind of confirmed that, that as much, uh, that, uh, he, he was looking to get out of there, um, even right after a national championship. And we had a very, very good source at USC tell us flat out USC was super close to hiring him as a defensive coordinator. And it's like, really though? Like, is, he's going to go from a national championship to becoming defensive coordinator under Clay Helton. Like he just didn't. And and at that point, us reporting it, the fact that they didn't get him was just going to rile people up more. Right. Like it was like, even do we really put this out there? Like, Oh yeah. In other news, USC almost hired Dave Aranda. You know, Trojan fans didn't want to hear that at that particular point. You know, it's like, really like that just sounds like some made up nonsense and blah, blah, blah. But it, was actually a thing and so the same sources kind of out uh brent venerables uh, making some calls out here and um kind of projecting what staff he could put together if he was coaching at usc and i was like what what so and, and alex grinch had already been named as defensive coordinator so i don't really know what was going on there if there was a cool coordinator thing there or something was going on but that was a rumor that came along and it kind of fits in with you know some of the stuff we were hearing about potentially brian breesey looking around and brian breesey has a a good relationship with caleb williams um and there was some talk that yeah uh, he might be making the jump into the portal and that uh usc would be a school that would be at the top of his list so those are three guys that we had heard uh, were potential porthole guys, and it was there was some smoke there. I mean, it was more than just you know rumors of guys that could be unhappy. There, there were clearly some communications there, and and this is what happens. And then and again, you get back to that port, uh, the portal tampering talk of you know players talk, and there's lots of that that goes on. And now the fact that you have nil, and this is where this connects, you not only have players that are just chatting and talking to each other about schools and about coaching moves and about whatever. Now they have representation as well. Caleb Williams is not just out there making NIL deals with his dad and, you know, some former high school coach. He's got an agent. He's got a lawyer. He's got a team of professional people around him. So now the NIL standpoint, you look at a guy like a Brian Breesey or or even a guy like Jordan Addison who have potential earnings uh, for companies and for uh, entertainment purposes. And those individuals are now negotiating and they're negotiating, uh, you know, where are you going to play? And where do we think that you should play? Where do we think you'll get the most exposure? Where do you think that our uh, money invested in you is going to see the most profit? How are we going to get the most out of it? And so That negotiation process that happens and all of that that happens behind the scenes has nothing to do with the universities. It's nothing to do with the coaches there. And so that's a whole other part where it's not just, you know, a kid, a player talking to another player about, yeah, you should come out here. It's great. We really need a defensive lineman and you'll blow up out here. It's an actual group of professionals that has that player that they're representing and they're like, hey, you know that guy? 
well, he's a big time player too. We'd love to take him in and we'd love to represent him as well. And now all of a sudden that umbrella is opened up a little bit. So there's a lot of wheels moving and a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes now that is, um, it's more serious than it ever was. And that you, like you say, free agency in college football is very much free agency in college football. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's going to, it's going to get worse maybe before it gets better. I know that this was a little underwhelming, I think, from a, a portal standpoint. I think that the pool of talent on the back end of this porthole um, shut down the sort of May deadline is, is not quite as, as, as great as we thought it could be. You know, we thought, okay, it could get really crazy. You could have, you know, dozens of players there that are starters at other schools that are looking to move. It didn't happen that way. Um, so from that standpoint, it's a little maybe underwhelming, but there's still a lot that has to go on. And again, the, the professional representation, um, agents getting involved, we're really at the infancy of that. A lot of these guys are making these deals and they're just making these deals with their families, you know, and especially the kids out of high school. And that's why my joke about Lole being a good hire for USC works in this situation, Gerard. NIL. NIL is the answer. And we've been talking for a while, so I think it's time we take a quick break that we're going to come back and quickly talk about the two USC commits that they picked up over over the last, what is it, few days, uh, Christian Pierce, Eric Gentry. We talked about them last week. We just want to comment, th- comment on that very quickly, talk about some new official visitors that will be coming on board, a couple transfer guys that USC did not get, and then we got some listener questions. So let's jump into a break, and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Gerard, your favorite part of the show where I asked you how your break was. It was fantastic. Got laundry done, did some errands, uh, wrote a dissertation on the NIL. Um, Yeah, been great. Excellent. I'm, I'm so glad to hear when you use your break. Uh, wisely. And like I mentioned before the break, we wanted to talk about some of the two, some of the two, the two new commitments that USC got, Eric Gentry, we've mentioned him multiple times at the top of the show, and then Christian Pierce, uh, not a transfer pickup, a high school pickup, the first defensive 
uh, commitment in the 2023 cycle. Gerard, you have seen Christian Pierce more than probably anybody in on our team and maybe on the 24-7 network, just being out there in Rancho Cucamonga by him and the IE. Three-star safety, a guy who a lot of us think can move up to maybe a four-star by the when it's all said and done. Six foot two, 180 pounds, very productive. I think 97 tackles, nine interceptions last year. He's got some ball skills. His, his film is fun to watch. He's a thumper. Uh, chose USC over UCLA and Washington, so it was a Pac-12 win for Lincoln Riley and the staff. Gerard, what what can you tell us about Christian Pierce and sort of the reaction to this pickup? Yeah, to add on from what we spoke about with him last week, um, a really good pickup, a guy that will move up, I think. Uh, right now, from what I gather, it's just a matter of verified results and attributes that we haven't been able to get from him as a network. They want to get verified speed. They want to get verified size. And Christian Pearson, he's not alone. I think this has a lot to do with um, the pandemic and you know, camps in general are becoming less and less populated by top players. Um, and, and this is going to be some fallout from NIL as well. I can see players kind of looking around with their hands out like, hey, you want me to go here and perform? You got to pay me. And there's a weird sense that I think some players think that other players are getting paid. And so there's this weird sort of game of telephone as to, you know, what kids are doing or where they're going to actually uh, be at events. And it's like, well, this guy's getting paid for this and he's getting paid for that. I mean, normally you have to get kids to events with swag anyways. You know, they, they only go to the events where they're getting free something, something. And I think that's going to turn into, you know, some type of representation, some type of branding. Maybe it helps because Nike can step up and actually maybe pay kids to, to do an event. I just don't know how much sponsorship is going to be involved with that type of stuff. But right now we're in this weird period where, a lot of top players either, you know, they haven't been to events because you had the shutdown, especially in California, you know, on the West Coast. Um, we're still kind of slowly getting back from that. Uh, and then second, I think, yeah, there's a lot of kids that are sort of like, you know, they have to have some type of incentive to show up and, and perform uh, at a particular event. So a normal regional camp just isn't enough right now. Um, so Christian Pierce hasn't been to anything, so there's no real verified numbers. Now, you know, for him specifically, he's had some injuries, and that's why he hasn't showed up to some things. Um, so I did have a source say, you know, he, he was a bit injury prone here and there in his high school career. Uh, but last season, he obviously was not. You don't have 103 tackles, nine interceptions. Uh, if you're injury prone, he's playing a whole lot of football and contributing a whole lot. And Greg Biggins and I talked about this in the future impact piece that I wrote about. He's really a player that just needs to get out to more events and he needs to have some verified results. And we don't have that, but I think once some more eyeballs get on him and see that he really is fast and he really does have great closing speed. Um, I think he'll move up in the rankings. I think he'll be a guy that, uh, is definitely looked at as one of the top defensive backs. Really, I think one of the top players in Southern California, you know, and, and certainly, you know, you don't have those 103 tackles and nine interceptions uh, without uh, being a, a pretty good player at a pretty competitive level playing for Ranch Creek Munga High School. I mean, that's a, a good league that you're playing against. and You're playing against 
good competition, even outside your league. They played against Jay Sarah and some other teams um, that are a good football teams. So I think with um, Christian Pierce, you know, uh, you know, Greg made some comparisons to him uh, that are already on the USC's roster, a- another safety that's actually already on USC's roster. And again, you know, check out that future impact piece. We go into detail about this, even talk to uh, another uh, coaching source that, um, that has seen uh, Christian Pierce uh, since, uh, since Papa Warner actually. And so talked a little bit about his trajectory uh, as a player and had some interesting comments about him potentially putting on weight and maybe moving up to line of scrimmage and becoming more of a linebacker. Uh, I, I think that projection is a little far in the future. I don't think that's going to happen in college, um, but it did kind of uh, reinforce the, the sentiment that he is a very physical player that is going to be able to play near the line of scrimmage. Um, I think what's sort of uh, underrated about him is the fact that he is a very good player in space. And again, nine interceptions as a junior, that's, it's a lot of interceptions, man. <laughs> That's a lot of interceptions. So, um, yeah, he's, he's going to be a player that I think uh, it's a great get for USC. Uh, certainly a guy that, um, you know, the old staff liked and the new staff reoffered immediately uh, when they got here. So it's not a guy that, you know, certainly, uh, oh, it's a three-star. USC missed out on another guy. No, uh, he's one of the top players, I think, on USC's board. And we also mentioned the other guy, uh, last week as well, and Eric Gentry. I know you did a future impact on him, but six foot six, legit six foot six, two hundred pounds. Picked him up out of the portal, obviously from ASU and that crumbling rubble fire over there in Tempe. But you know, a guy who played a lot, uh, twelve games last season, three starts due to injury. Kind of played that weak side linebacker role. I know he was recruited as an edge out of high school, but he seems to be, as you mentioned, more so you know, situated for the middle outside linebacker kind of, kind of role, not necessarily on the edge. Uh, he's 200 pounds, probably soaking wet. So definitely want to see him add to that frame, but productive was a freshman all American, 45 tackles. I think like five tackles for loss. They need, they need impact guys like that. They need a guy who can come in and, you know, push maybe a rail and go forth at that will spot. Uh, Shane Lee feels like the only guy really locked in at the linebacker spot, uh, for that Mike spot. So, you know, if he can come in and push Raylan Goforth to another level, that's what you want to see. If he comes in and beats Raylan Goforth out for that spot, I also love to see it. Breeds more competition in that room. Or, you know, he's the guy that's going to be the backup or in that rotation. So lots of different ways Gentry's addition can go for USC, but it's a big pickup and a good pickup for a defense that needs more linebacker help. Yeah, and, and playmakers. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's the thing. That's really sort of what you see lacking in that front seven is making some, maybe some playmaker ability. And he's a guy, again, we wrote our future impact piece and uh, talked quite a bit with uh, Chris Cartman, who, again, covers ASU for the Sun Devil Source. And he raved about Gentry. I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, it, it, it's – he absolutely raved about him and thinks he's a, he's an NFL guy, um, has a very rare combination of agility and length. Uh, most guys, obviously, that height, uh, you would put on the edge because they're not necessarily all that agile. They're a little stiff, uh, maybe a little top heavy, but, uh, Gentry is, is a bit of a physical freak. And we've even heard this, uh, from other college football sources. He's a guy that can legitimately play off the line of scrimmage can play in space, 
and be a linebacker really at any three positions. Now he's got to put on weight, probably closer to about 210 right now, but is a guy that is legitimately a, a potential kind of unicorn in a defense in that, and again, kind of talk about this more in detail, but there is a Sam Nickelbacker spot in these type of defenses, these hybrid defenses that isn't really used very much. Often you see a cornerback in that nickel spot or a safety in that nickel spot. And most schools have gone to using a safety. There's a three safety personnel package that we saw with USC last year with Todd Orlando. And we've seen with many other schools that write, uh, that, that run tight fronts. And so Gentry is a guy that's actually got the speed and the ability that you can put him out there over the slot and he can take a bigger receiver. He can take a tight end. Um, and against the team that maybe wants to run the ball more, that there's a little more physicality there that you want at the line of scrimmage. He's a guy that you can plug in there and has the ability to play in space, but is long and can affect the passing game also. And so because he's over that slot area, you would think, okay, you know, that's a guy that's going to normally be, you know, a cornerback. I mean, USC would often use Max Williams at that spot. Max Williams is 5'8". Here you got a guy that's 6'6", who's got great leaping ability, was a basketball first player out of high school, didn't start playing football until later into his high school career. He's a guy that can actually affect the passing game just from that. So, yeah, a, a lot of rave reviews, the toughness, um, just kind of one of those rare guys that has the length, um, the, the skill, the agility, the speed, but also the toughness, despite being a guy that's only, you know, 210 pounds. So yeah, that it, it's a big pickup for USC need wise. It's, it's not quite as big as it would be for an offensive lineman or interior defensive lineman, but nevertheless, a guy that could end up being a, a very unique player. And it's going to be used, just interesting to see how USC uses him. Um, you hope that you don't just throw him on the line of scrimmage and say, okay, we're just going to wait until you put a bunch of weight on him and and make him an edge player. I, I think from what I'm gathering, that would be an error on USC's part. They would be misusing him to some extent just to throw him on the line of scrimmage and put him on the edge. He, he does well enough. Um, he is quick enough that he can get away from blocks, but he's still not big enough or strong enough to really engage with those offensive tackles and shed blocks to be – you know, an every down, every down uh, pass rusher. So you really kind of want to keep him off the line of scrimmage to some extent. And again, that Sam sort of nickel back spot where you actually have got three linebackers in the game might be an intriguing wrinkle that Alex Grinch can use in that defense and, and actually have him on the field with Raylan Goldford, uh and um, uh, the, the, the kid from Alabama who's, I don't know why I'm, you just said his name, the kid from Alabama. Yeah, the, the Mike linebacker. Um, uh, Shane Lee. Shane Lee, yeah. I don't know why I forget his name all the time. I I, I think because he switched uh, numbers, it's thrown me off. He used to be 50, uh, 35 at Alabama, and then he flipped his name or whatever. 53. Huh? He flipped it around, 53. Yeah, 53, and, and I, I'm like, 53? Who's 53? I can't remember a 53 uh, at USC in a while. Um, so, yeah, uh, so Shane Lee is, is kind of locked in there, I guess, at Mike linebacker. We'll, we'll see, you know. They rave about him, and I thought he was okay in the spring game. Um, Got to have some speed at that position, and uh, he's a little more of a plugger. Uh, but Raylan Goforth is, is is shown some flashes, being a good player. Um, and Eric Gentry uh, is a guy that, again, sounds like it would be best to kind of keep him off the line of scrimmage some. You know, you could put him at the line of scrimmage as an edge guy and, and blitz him, but 
sounds like, you know, you're really going to get more from him if you move him around a bit. And so that'll be a little bit of a litmus test to see what USC does. Do they just do the thing? They go, oh, he's 6'6". Yeah, we're just going to put him on the edge and, you know, that, that'll be what we do with him. Or do they actually try to invent ways of, you know, getting him into the game and, and using him in ways that offenses just don't necessarily see a whole lot of uh, personnel package wise. So I think that would be um, a, a good thing uh, to, to see if, if USC can actually you know, do something a little different, you know, make a little wrinkle there uh, that makes it, uh, you know, against the teams that it, it, they should use it against, right. You don't necessarily want to put them out there. Um, if you're going against, you know, four or five receiver splits and you're going to have him covering some, you know, five, 10, 180 pound receiver, that's obviously not going to work. But against some of the teams that maybe they want to run the ball more and, and putting a safety there uh, isn't the best move, you know, putting a linebacker there might be better. A guy that's physical that can play in your line of scrimmage and make open field tackles, um, that that might be the move. You know, UCLA, Oregon, Stanford, you know, there's some schools in the Pac-12 that, that still run the ball and still try to get physical. And certainly uh, against USC that in the past few years have been more air raid you've seen how the defense has become less and less physical. And very quickly, just wanted to touch on very quickly, the two transfer portal guys that USC was involved with, but have gone elsewhere, actually gone to the same place, Oregon and Nebraska defensive line transfer, Casey Rogers took an official visit to USC, took a visit to Oregon shortly after that, put out a top three of Oregon, USC and Auburn and then committed less than 24 hours later to the Ducks. And then uh, Bucky Irving, the Minnesota running back, who USC was, it seemed very likely to get him kind of uh, a couple weeks ago when there was a big emoji that popped up and, you know, kind of talking about how it looks like it was going to be Irving. And then some time passed, and it ended up not being uh, Irving – it ended up not being Irving, or at least that was what our, our thought was. Nothing happened, and then sort of uh, Bucky decides to post a commitment to the Ducks. So the Ducks get both of those guys running back. USC could use another running back. I don't think it's a killer because um, there is a lot of good running backs or guys that you can add to the roster and not necessarily be a guy who's going to come in and try to, you know, depth pieces, not a guy who's going to maybe challenge uh, Travis Dyer, Austin Jones, or Darwin Barlow in that hierarchy, but a guy who can come in for depth. Uh, there's a lot of options right now in the portal. And then Rodgers, who, you know, has battled some injuries at Nebraska and, you know, talking to those guys out there. When he was healthy, he was good. Uh, he was a disruptor. I think he would have been a really good piece, not the not the level of uh, Lole. I think he would have been more of a rotational guy for depth. Um, and I know we got a question about this from uh, Shel Borskine, uh, Borski asking, you know, USC loses another lineman uh, on either side of the ball to Oregon. Is this a trend that's going to continue in the Lincoln-Riley era? And do recruits see this? I don't think it's a trend that's going to continue because I think mainly, as we've talked about, it helps so much when there's a game on and USC could point to their, their games. You know, look, we're winning. Lincoln hasn't had that you know, opportunity to put his team on the field outside of, you know, his half of a spring football game. But they want to see teams out there winning, you know, dropping whatever, how many points on a rice or beating up on Arizona State or uh, 
beating up uh, or winning or upsetting winning against Utah. You know, recruits want to see that. And when they see that, that helps recruit, especially, you know, at positions that you're trying to get in at offensive line or defensive line. I don't think that that's, I know it's a narrative right now, but I don't think that's going to be a continuing narrative. You know, Mario Cristobal was an offensive line guy. So they do have a really good offensive line recruiter right now. I'm blanking on his name. Gerard, you will help me find it eventually. But there there are, you know, things that point to maybe it is going to continue. But I don't see that being a long-term thing. I just think that the season needs to get going. You need to get these guys in front of the product on the field. They need to see that product on the field. And I think that's going to help. Winning helps all, as I know you like to say. Yeah, you're talking about Adrian Clem is the offensive yes. line coach now. There you go. At Oregon, and they got Tosh Lapoy, uh coaching the defensive line, and both those guys are known recruiters um, as much as they're known for developing talent. So they are guys that that land top players, and so um, it could it continue to be a, a theme. It, it could be. Uh, I think USC, like you said, they got to show production on the field. Uh, Sean Nua's got to show his resume and develop some guys. Um, Josh Hansen's got to show that, uh, you know, they, they can run the ball and they can pass pro and they can do more than what USC was doing uh, with the past regime. Um, so, I, I, you know, could be, maybe not. We don't really know right now. Like, it's, it's one of those things. Like, if USC wins a bunch of games and they start to dominate the conference, then no. You know, eventually it's, it's going to be one of those things where they're, to do that, they're obviously developing the players that they have, and they're getting those guys out. And that's the one good thing that I think – from a narrative, from a narrative standpoint, when this staff took over, we heard a lot of optimism about the players already on the roster. And that's a good thing because often when you have a change in regime, the new regime wants to kind of throw the old regime under the bus behind closed doors and talk about how, oh, there's no more talent on the roster. Oh my gosh, the cupboard is bare of talent. And we, you know, and, and I've heard it from staffs that have taken over at USC, uh, particularly Lane Kiffin's staff. When they took over for Pete Carroll's old staff, there was a lot of talk behind the scenes about how they weren't really evaluating like they needed to. And they got a bunch of guys on the roster that are not contributors. And throughout the course of different coaching staffs and different coaches coming in, there was always this, well, how many, how much talent is really there? Like, I don't think there's really a lot of talent there. I think we've got to do this better and that better. And that's just sort of a built-in excuse for, yeah, what's going to take a, a while for us to be able to win games again. You know, it's sort of like trying to extend that honeymoon period. And Lincoln Riley, for better or for worse, has come through and said, we want to win now. And we think we can win now. And it's not just from the portal. It's also from the talent that they have on the roster because they're going to need those players that they have on that roster right now to win right now. You can't win next year if you don't think that the guys that are on that roster right now are going to be able to be productive for you. So that's a good thing because it signals a willingness to develop talent, develop the guys that you have, develop the guys that you get. You cannot always depend on, well, we're going to need to recruit this guy, that guy. We need to get our guys in here. And that's, that's just, you know, that's tomorrow. That's the next day. Um, you got to be able to work with guys. You're not always going to get your 
a list of players, whether it's on the recruiting trail or the transfer portal, you're not always going to get the guys that you want. So you have to work with the guys that you get. And it seems at least that this coaching staff is willing to do that. And we've heard optimism about the offensive line. We've heard optimism about some players that I think the past staff was ready to just kind of give up on. So we'll see, you know, how that works and we'll, we'll see what they're able to do. But that ultimately, if you're going to win, you're going to win with those players and that is going to show development. So it's all tied together. So that's, that's really what's going to change the course for USC in terms of recruiting offensive linemen and, and defensive linemen. Um, but Oregon has obviously put a lot into uh, trying to make sure that they continue to recruit well at those positions. Um, and they've got two top recruiters or guys that have shown in the past to be top recruiters at those positions. So, you know, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be uh, overnight. And they may still lose some guys and still head scratchers, you know, like, like Josh Connerly, where a lot of people are like, yeah, sounds like he's going to USC. And then they steal a guy from him. So you still could happen. Um, one other guy that you did not mention was Josh Chandler. It was a guy that we heard from people who, who professed to us that going to USC is going to USC. And he ended up in Colorado of all places. So that was kind of an, a, a weird sort of out of left field um, commit. Uh, Josh Chandler, one of the uh, top linebackers that was in the portal from West Virginia. You always keep me on my toes, Gerard, because I absolutely forgot about Josh Chandler, the West Virginia linebacker, and you're right. Ended up going to a different Pac-12 program, Colorado. So, and as you mentioned, he he sort of hinted uh, right before he committed, I'm going to be going to college 1,300 miles away from my daughter. And as we mentioned last episode, he just had a baby girl. And so I know there was a lot of USC fans quickly Googling the distance between Ohio and California. Gerard, do you know the distance, the rough distance? No, I don't. Okay, it's about 2,200. So that uh, eliminated uh, the Trojans on that alone. And finally for this segment, we have some of the new official visitors that are added to that big summer uh, visit visit week in June. You have Micah Teese, the four-star wide receiver out of Booker T. Washington in Oklahoma. He was on USC's campus for an unofficial uh, for the USC spring game. Uh, Grant Bucky, who was not able to be at the spring game, three-star defensive lineman, uh, out of the Bakersfield area, six foot five, 260 pounds. USC's been recruiting him, uh, very well. He has a Stanford legacy, so the Cardinals seem to be the favorite there, but you never know. Sean New is recruiting him hard. Uh, Christian Gray, the St. Louis, uh, safety who has been to USC multiple times was a Oklahoma target when Alex Grinch and that staff were at Oklahoma. He is, he has signed on for an official visit this summer. And I believe that will be a couple weeks from me. That official visit will be a couple weeks from actually, for when, from when he makes his commitment in the summer. And then you mentioned Lucas Simmons is a guy, the big Florida offensive tackle who, you know, we felt USC was in a good position for after his unofficial visit this spring. Looks like he's going to be coming back for an official visit as expected. So just that, that visit week just keeps growing and growing and growing. Yeah. USC also got, uh, well, they also secured official visits for the June 10 weekend. Uh, they got Justice Hayes, who's a four-star running back from Roswell, Georgia, uh, one of the top running backs in the nation who 
Seems like it's going to be tough to get him away from Georgia. Uh, he's a bit of a Georgia legacy. Um, you know, even Ohio State. USC hasn't really been talked about too much with him, so that's interesting. He's going to take that official visit to USC. And John Walker, finally. We, we have we have an out-of-state big defensive lineman um, from Osceola uh, High School out there in Kissimmee, Florida, Central Florida. Kissimmee. 6'3", 310. Defensive tackle, four-star, uh, ranked number 13 nationally at his position. So two uh, pretty big uh, additions to that June 10 weekend. That June 10 weekend, to me, says these are going to be some of the guys that we bring in that we're just trying to get some traction with. Guys that we've got, we've got to try to get a shot with them. Let's, uh, let's make a move and just, you know, see if we can kind of make it interesting. Uh, and and We'll see how that weekend develops, but that kind of feels more like a probably not a lot of commits from that weekend, but maybe just um, get your foot in the door sort of weekend with some of these guys. And, uh, uh, you know, you go on during the summer, maybe they commit, maybe they don't commit, but you try to continue to recruit them through the recruiting process through the season. And then maybe if you win some games, you have a chance to these players. That's, that's sort of when you get those two names there. Um, that's the feel of, of what that uh, that weekend may, might start to look like. So we'll see. We'll see. Maybe they throw some committed recruits on that weekend too. We'll see how that goes. But like you said, yeah, the 16th through really the 19th, because uh, you've got guys that are going to come in on that Thursday and then guys are going to come in that Friday. Uh, that whole sort of window is going to be just a just giant recruiting weekend for USC. I mean, there's a bunch of players here that could potentially commit. Uh, you talked about Grant Bucky, you know, one of the local defensive linemen that has a scholarship offer from USC, you know, Malachi Crawford, uh, you've already got a couple commits uh, that are, that are, that are scheduled to come in that weekend. Uh, Walker Lyons, the 6'4", 230 pound tight end, four star from Folsom, California is a guy that I know USC is very high on. Um, he's probably going to go on a Mormon mission after high school. So he's going to be a guy that you kind of, you know, have a, a place marker for later down the line, uh, but still one of the top players nationally. Braxton Myers, who's going to probably commit here in mid-May before he takes that official visit. Uh, so he's going to make a decision with USC being one of the top schools on his list. Christian Gray, who you said was a safety, he's a cornerback and a guy that unofficially visited USC, um, I think it was late last year. He was one of the guys that got into that like January window um, and snuck in for a, a January unofficial visit, met with Dante Williams. And you talked to him personally after that unofficial visit and got the impression USC was going to be a top school for him. Absolutely. I've talked to him multiple times. I think he's made two visits to USC since, you know, Lincoln Riley came aboard with his family and he's been blown away by the visits and yeah, just, you can you can sometimes get a vibe just talking to kids, even if it's over DM or text, uh, of how they feel about the school. And I definitely got USC is going to be a big a big one for me and for his family. And obviously he has a he had a pre he had a, a, an earlier relationship with Alex Grinch and that staff. And you know I got the sense that USC was going to be a top school for them for him. And you know that seems to be the case. You know moving into that. Uh, that official visit that he's, they're getting and it being so close to the commitment date, which is always a good sign. Now the internet tells me that he's going to Notre Dame. He's a lock. And in fact, 
his profile right now shows Alabama, LSU, Notre Dame, USC is not even with warm interest. Ohio State uh, has warm interest. So um, the whole warm, cool thing is always weird. I, I, I've never looked at recruiting interest as warm and cold and hot. I think it was uh, 24-7 having to kind of do something different than the uh, high interest, medium interest, um, because rivals had already done that. But uh, he, he's a guy that's not listed as actually being uh, uh, of high interest with USC, but going to take an unofficial visit. One of those guys that, you know, again, we talk about Dante Williams as a recruiter. You know, good recruiters just seem to be able to get guys on campus. You know, they seem to cultivate those options. And when USC, if USC can win, Dante Williams is going to get some of these guys. He's going to get some guys out of left field. I mean, he kind of sort of got Jaden Gold out of left field last year when a lot of people said, no way, he's a lock to Penn State. And to be fair, he did commit to Penn State silently. Um, he, he wanted to go to Michigan, and Michigan dropped him because of the knee injuries. And so Penn State was the lead school for him, and USC snabbed him away from Penn State when no, nobody saw that coming. And so um, – and, and eventually, obviously, you know, the, the new coaching staff didn't think it, he was going to be able to contribute. So he didn't end up at USC. Uh, but uh, Dante Williams is able to grab some guys, you know. And so Christian Gray would be one of those guys that I, I don't know if the program is at a point yet where they could do it. You know, I think that's a that's a, like if you're coming off of 10 wins or something, you know, you're playing for a Pac-12 title last year, maybe. You know, if this was 2000. We're talking about a 2024 commit or recruit, excuse me, and it's 2023. Like maybe, you know, we're, we're, we're at a point where I think Dante Williams can land him when nobody thinks they can, he can. Um, I just don't know if they're at a point yet again where some of these guys have to have faith in what USC is going to do more than what USC has done. So Tackett Curtis, um, I think, is another one of those guys, a linebacker out of Manny, Louisiana, who I, I know, you know, he likes USC a lot, and he likes Ohio State a lot, but USC obviously hasn't had the production on the field, nor in the draft, that Ohio State has. And at the end of the day, I think that makes it very difficult for USC. Um, but there's other players like Braxton Myers, who I think really does believe in the program and has such a good relationship with the coaching staff that even though Clemson and some of these other schools are after him, seems like USC is going to be the lead school for him. So there are some guys that, that might take the plunge and say, you know what, I believe in Lincoln Riley. I believe he's going to turn it around at USC, and I believe USC is going to get back to being nationally prominent. And so it, it's just after these official visits, we're going to see if USC is able to convince some of these guys, and, and maybe they're get, able to get a Christian Gray. That would be at the position that you would think they would be able to do that at. Um, you know, you want to see it at offensive line. You want to see it at defensive line. But it seems like Dante Williams being just an elite recruiter um, and that's, again, going back to that question of the trend of Oregon dominating USC on the recruiting trail and linemen, um, they've got two guys that are elite recruiters there. Uh, Adrian Clem, to some extent, but definitely Tosh LeBoy is an elite recruiter. He was an elite recruiter. Um, he was an elite recruiter at Cal. He got guys at Cal, uh, mostly local, but he got guys at Cal that, you know, Cal really, you would think, not have any business recruiting. And at Washington, he got guys, and certainly at Alabama. It was much easier to get guys, but he got guys. And he got guys outside of even his own position. Najee Harris, um, uh, Toa Tagavalao, 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 Toa, Toa, 
Toa Tagavailao. I can't remember his name, how to pronounce his name. Um, now I'll, the, give, I'll give you the credit. You were close. <laughs> Tagavailao. I, anyways, anyways, out of sight, out of mind. He's one of those guys that just, you know, kind of like pushed out. Okay, next. Who's the, who's the, who's the next guy? I got to remember how to say his name. Um, yeah, he, he recruited those two guys to Alabama uh, and, and was a big part of that. Sark helped a lot too, you know, with, with Toa. Um, but um, that, uh, that, that's a guy that's an elite recruiter. He's going to get guys. Um, but when you win, it definitely gives you much more reach. And so that's the thing that USC doesn't have behind them right now. You know, they, they may have it in front of them, but they don't have it behind them. And that's what you got to do. You got to go out this season and you got to win some games and you got to win some important games and you've got to show a trajectory. So, you know, they may lose out on a lot of these guys um, and, and, and have to go for more local players, but um, you know, there's potential there. They've, they've got some out of state recruits already committed and um, the season will lock those guys up or we'll see those guys slip away because they're not able to win certain amount of games. Let's move on to our final portion, your favorite portion of the show, listener questions. We got some in the queue. Why do you say that like I have an issue? You're implying like I hate listener questions. That's not true. Look, you can, you can make that claim. That's fine. You make that claim. We're just going to dive into some questions. That's all, that's all I'm saying. I was just pointing out. I was just pointing out. Are they, you know, all, about, sound, are they all about tattoos? All you, sound off, you sound awfully defensive about these listener questions. So let's just jump into it. Just jump into Toga it. I actually, I said, I think I said it right. I just I looked think it up you right said right. it right. Toga, Toga Vailao. Okay. I, for some reason, it wasn't sounding right to, to me in my ear when I was listening to myself say it. I haven't said it for a, a long time. That's one of those things that some of these names that you don't say all the time. It's, you say them and you're like, is that right? Is that is that actually how you say it? You haven't said it for a long time. So, anyways, yes. This one comes from Dividend Doug Nation. Dividend Doug Nation? I think it's Dividend Doug Nation. Is there a transparent record of what each player is receiving from the NIL experience? I imagine the Trojans aren't even amongst the leaders, but the rumor mill has them number one with a bullet. No. Uh, there's Yeah, there's no public record of anything we we talked about this on the show but you know you're never really going to get those figures until unless they want you to know what those figures are yeah exactly unless it's some company that strikes a deal and they have a press release yeah you're not going to hear it uh all these collectives and all these things and again i think a lot of these numbers being thrown around are bs i don't think they're real um but you know it's just a lot of uh, a lot of chatter right now, but yeah, you're not going to hear, uh, especially if you're talking about donors. And I just I, I think even the universities would rather that stuff not be public because you don't want bidding wars. That's how you get into bidding wars. Like, oh, somebody's offered this kid something. I mean, what if USC has not offered uh, Jordan Addison two million dollars, three million dollars, as reported? Right? That just number was thrown out there. Who knows? Just is you know. I'm sure it came from Pitt's coaching staff, who somehow has information about it, right? Like Jordan said, "Hey, I'll stay at Pitt if you give me three million dollars." Like USC is. I'm sure that conversation happened, right? Yeah, right, sure. But so you know, it it that number gets out, and then Alabama's like, "Well, we'll pay four million dollars." 
okay. So, and then Ohio State says, well, we got $5 million. I mean, that just becomes a bidding war. So you don't want that information out there. This next one comes from Roman from Bell, California. On one of the recent episodes, GM correctly predicted that Christian Pierce should be the first defensive commitment. Can we have a prediction on who will be the first offensive lineman? Kudos to you, Gerard, for nailing that prediction. Oh, gosh. The first offensive line commit. I guess Elijah Page, and I'm sticking to that. Yeah, I mean, he shows up on that same weekend as Lucas Simmons. So there is that potential that, you know, there's uh, – you feel like it, it might happen before that point, you know, that, that mm-hmm. they might be able to get an offensive lineman. And, and the thing is, if it happens like that, I can see it happening with May Evaluations and them going and seeing somebody in person that might be even local and offering them a scholarship. And then that player takes an unofficial visit and then he commits. So, you know, we're thinking right now of sort of the, the top end guys that are coming in for official visits, which are obviously guys that USC really wants. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, you know, some of the kids up there up North, you know, they've got Simeone Pale, who is uh, offered a scholarship and uh, Alane uh, Noah, who is also from Sacramento, who's offered a scholarship, those two interior guys. Um, you know, we haven't really heard much about them and, and whether USC is going to bring them in for uh, official visits yet. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see how hard they're recruiting those guys. I mean, Elijah Jacket is another guy. Maybe you bring him in a little sooner. I could see them pushing for a commitment from him. Uh, they seem to like him a lot. So it's one of those things, if they push that button – I could see Eliza Jacket being the first to commit. Uh, but, yeah, I could also see Eliza Page being the first to commit. I, I, I think out of that group, Eliza Page, Lucas Simmons, and, um, you know, potentially maybe somebody uh, like Jacket or somebody that he haven't even offered a scholarship yet, uh, and they offer him and he commits on the spot. Uh, I could see that. I think they're still – I honestly think USC still trying to figure out their board. You know, sort of like how many guys they need and how many guys are like, what's the top end of it? You know, is it Francis uh, Moyagoa um, or is it, you know, is it Lucas Simmons? Right. You know, who who who's at the top of the board? And then that kind of tells you who's at the bottom of the board and who you want in terms of from a number standpoint, which I would think that they they probably want to get three or four guys, probably four in this class. This comes from Coach Mark Dickens. How difficult it how difficult is it to reach out to transfer targets in order to gauge interest? Well, not that hard if you know what you're doing. Once a player enters the portal, there's not like uh like their phone number isn't attached to that to that player once they enter the portal. But coaches know, you know, you get in touch with their, their high school coach or you know, they follow them on Twitter and you know, DM them or, you know, it's a, it's a number or relationship they had prior in the recruiting uh, recruitment out of high school. So there's a multitude of ways they can get in, get into contact with these guys. Uh, so it's not, it's not that hard to, to I wasn't sure out. if he was talking about coaches or us getting, <laughs> getting a hold of, of them. Cause it's absolutely almost impossible sometimes to get a hold of transfers um, on, you know, those guys, 
kids just don't want to talk about anything. It seems like, uh, for the most part of, of, of going through the recruiting process again and dealing with media, they just, they just don't want to do it. That, that is interesting because I did not interpret it as us talking to transfer targets, but them, but coaches. So I guess transfer targets are harder, like you mentioned, because they've been through the process. They want to get it over quickly. So it's a lot tougher. Uh, oh, to Deion, to interject, Deion Sanders made a great tweet about the process of uh, colleges getting a hold of transfers and, you know, going through high school coaches. And he, he made a tweet just in general about how it's getting done, you know, and why guys are are committing to schools like almost the day that they're in the portal. And it's and he's, he's 100% right. Like I've heard that. I don't want to spill, <laughs> spill the beans on any one player, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of going on where you've got intermediaries and people that are middlemen that have relationships with these players and the, the the high school coaches are already putting their feelers out as to if he was to transfer <laughs> hypothetically who's interested and they start making phone calls to where they've got connections and coaches they know and that's why you know you see you know some of these guys are like in and out of that portal so quickly they know where they're going before they even enter it question for gm i'm brace yourself gerard i'm sure this is from dave from sacramento Question for GM. I'm sure you're probably tired of this topic. My question is, can you please give me the percentage of what NIL had to do with Connerly signing with Oregon? I couldn't give you a percentage. I don't, I don't know. It was definitely, definitely was a factor. I mean, you know, (laughs) I will say 75%. I, yeah, I don't know how you would even equate that to a percentage, you know, like how, (laughs) <laughs> it just it was a big factor it, it definitely was you know and I think his reasonings for going to Oregon which don't totally make sense kind of you know show that and, and again I've already talked about why I think families and recruits don't want to talk a lot about why NIL or how important NIL is in their decisions it just comes off like you're just looking for money and you just got your hand out you know and it's not palpable yet palpable that's the wrong word palatable for college football fans who are used to this amateur model to hear about how these kids are being paid to go to colleges especially when their connection to these colleges is that they paid a bunch of money to go to the colleges so it's like you're paying this kid a bunch of money to go to the college when i paid a bunch of money to go to the college it doesn't necessarily ring um like something that uh they lose a little bit of that i think emotional invested interest in the game a little bit because it 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 reads as the love for playing the game is being lost and that players are just playing because they're being paid to play they're being paid to go to this school or that school and it doesn't have anything to do with the reasons why a person you know might want to pick one college over another because again they're paying to go to that college like you you want to you have to find reasons to why you want to go there why do I want to spend my hard earned money to go to USC. Like it costs a lot of money to go to USC. That is a huge financial investment for families. You know, if you're not getting some type of scholarship or something to go to USC, holy crap, you know how much debt you're going to have to be in when you get out of USC? So that's like a big deal. So you you look at USC as like this is so many like there's so many good reasons like I'm going to I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to do that. And then you hear, well, this guy's going to USC because he's being paid millions of dollars to. 
Like it, it was not the education. It's not the location. It's not the relationships with the coaches. There's no inherent anything to the school why he's going to USC. That's a bitter pill to swallow for 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 a Trojan fan, but it's it's across the board for all these other schools as well because everybody has that emotional uh, invested sort of relationship, that connection to those schools that they went to. It's very different than following pro franchises and being a pro football fan. Um, and that's sort of being cut out a bit with college football and what ultimately might, you know, turn this whole thing into a farm system in college. You might get back to college football, but all these colleges are just going to take the Ivy League approach and say, we're not giving you scholarships, we're not giving you anything. You want to come here, you come here. Nobody's paying you a dime to come here. And then, you know, it obviously op- opens itself up to a minor league system where the NFL gets involved. So, yeah, um, you know, percentage-wise, I don't know. But it was a factor, and it's just being downplayed. Just like it's downplayed with Caleb Williams, downplayed with Nico, I might like, but you're just going to hear that now. You know, that word's like, ah, oh, not really, not mild to money. I love Tennessee and the checkered uh, end zones. And, yeah, that's why I went there. I love it. They have great fan base and stuff, which which is true, you know. But, you know, is it the is it the, the, the reasoning? Is it the sort of the deal breaker? You know, no pun intended. <laughs> No, it's probably not. How many, this one comes from my guy, Terrence House, how many commits do you believe USC will have for the 2023 class as of July 1st after the big recruiting weekend? So USC is at what? Uh, six? Six right now? Two running backs, two receivers, quarterback, and Pierce. I will say nine. Ooh, with that weekend, I think they want to get to double digits. You know, I, I think you, you, you want to have eight for sure. Um, they'll have, I think they might have eight or nine even maybe going into those visits, which is exactly where they want to be. I mean, that's kind of on pace or where you want to be. Um, I'm going to say they're double digits. You know, I, I think preferably – they want to have a dozen commits at least coming out of those June visits. I think that's probably where, going to, where they're going to want to be. Um, and then going into August, you know, maybe 14. So I think a healthy number is definitely eight to 10. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're Alabama, you're like, I want to be at eight. I don't want to be, I don't even necessarily want to get double digits because we know we're going to win. We know we're going to be good. And we know the season and getting kids to some of these big games on campus is going to sway guys. And we're going to be able to have a shot at players that maybe right now we're not 100% sure where we stand with them or or even, you know, where they stand with us. Because, you know, if you're at the top of the food chain there, Clemson, Clemson's still there. They're, they're fading, but they're still there. Oklahoma. Um, they're still there also, you know, I know it's a new coaching staff, whatever, but they're still, you know, up there. Um, certainly Ohio state. If you're at the top of the food chain there, you do want to use as much time to evaluate as well, because there's going to be guys that, you know, that you see at some point next year, next season, you're going to go, we like this guy, or you're going to see a player that you may have been high on. You go, eh, eh, we want to kind of back away from that guy. So you do want to have that sort of headroom in your class. And so, yeah, if you're at the top of the food chain, you're like at eight, 
maybe 10 commits coming in the summer. You're like, that's plenty. That's plenty for us. But if you're USC, again, you're in this weird spot where you're, you're, you're trying to get commitments on faith and then you're trying to um, use the, the season to show that the program is going in an upward trajectory and trying to sell on these guys, you know, and, and, and there's also the possibility that there's some guys that they have higher on their board that start to fall uh, with senior seasons and, and certainly out West because there's been a lot less to evaluate because you had a whole year there where you basically had a shutdown. Um, and there's just been a little less of that in a new coaching staff. There's less familiarity with some of these players. So uh, they do have to see some of these guys in person. And this is their first time, maybe some of these guys they've ever seen in person where they're getting out on the road in May and they're being able to see guys. And that's going to dictate what the board looks like even coming out of the summer going into the season as well. So, um, yeah, I could see USC pushing a little harder and trying to get some more momentum from the committed class. And so I could see a dozen to 14 guys coming out of the summer. This one comes from Lincoln Riley's visor on Twitter. When NIL first became legal, Reggie Bush mentioned pursuing his reinstatement through the legal matters. Has there been any update to that? I looked into it. Does not seem like there has been any update. You know, he released that statement and then the, uh, I believe the Heisman, uh, trust or fund or whatever, kind of put a statement out there of their own and said that it's up to the NCAA. It's like in the NCAA's uh, court to kind of handle that when it comes to the Heisman. Um, I will say this. It seems like the NCAA has sort of bigger issues on its hands than Reggie Bush's Heisman. So I don't really see that being resolved anytime soon. And I don't think there is has been any sort of new update in terms of that uh, that situation. And finally... Your favorite question here, Gerard. D from Central California has a 2023 class projection. It is our last question. Based on your articles, war rooms, and tweets, I created what I think is going to be the 2023 class on of players that have been better that have a better than 50% chance of signing with USC. Please give me your opinion. Please add or remove. And will this be and will this be considered a top 10? Because of NIL and being near Miami, I do not include Innes or Francis Malioga. So it goes QB Nelson, yeah, that's fine. Joyner, Quentin Joyner and Peter, Amarian Peterson, the two commits, and Roderick Robinson. Roderick Robinson recently came out and had comments where he wasn't really looking at USC at this point. It seems like there was sort of a, a cooling between the two after they picked up Peterson. Um, I expected maybe them to, to keep you know, pursuing Roderick, you know, he's that bigger, bigger bodied running back that they kind of need. Uh, but it seems like those two are kind of, uh, moving away from each other after USC landed its second running back commit. So I don't really at this moment have high hopes for Roderick in that class. Wide receiver is, uh, Zachariah Branch, Makai Lemon and DeAndre Moore. Tight end is Deuce Robinson. O-line is Lucas Simmons, Eliza Jacket, Elijah Page, and C- Simone Pale. Simeone. Simeone Pale. Linebacker is Leafu, David Peavy, Victory Johnson, and Isaiah Chisholm. Uh, Edge is Mateo Ugielele and Braylon Shelby. D-line is Kelsey Howard, Grant Bucky, Cameron Brandt, and Amos Talele. DBs are Dalen Austin, Roderick Pleasant, Christian Pierce, Braxton Myers, and Malachi Crawford. 
Uh, I, looking at it, I don't think Kelsey Howard is that high up. Yeah, I agree. I, I like Cameron Brand and Amos Telele. I like Grant Bucky, but I think he's more of a Stanford lean at this point. Linebackers are interesting. I, I think it's all well, listen, well, listen, for, the question for is Hackett at this point. I know as, as, I think, I know Ohio State is, uh, lurking there with them. I don't know how big the linebacker class is. I know they're going to take at least two Tackett, hopefully for them being one of them. So four might be a little much. I think I could see four, but I think it might be a little much. I would actually factor in Walker Lyons along with Deuce Robinson since, as you mentioned, Walker is going to be taking a mission. So he's technically going to be a, what, 2025 recruit. So I would probably put Walker in there. With the tight end position, Gerard, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this this list. Yeah, I think um, with Roderick Robinson, I, I honestly feel like that might have been, and he might be looked at more, like I said, as a fullback type of player. Um, not super fast. I think that's kind of the, the the big question about him is is how fast he really is, and. Amari Peterson is, is a guy that's, you know, a good six foot, six one. We talked about him. He looks like a guy that can be 220 pounds and he runs like it. He's, he's a lot of uh, power behind um, him and, and a frame that at least on, as we have not seen him in person, uh, looks like a guy that could be uh, a bit, a physical runner, you know, power runner. So um, USC could definitely take more than two running backs in this class. Um, but Robinson, I think, wants to kind of be a guy, and I just don't know if USC sees him as, you know, a guy that they want to, like, build around. Um, I agree with you at wide receiver. They could end up taking four wide receivers. Uh, wide receiver is one of those positions that if there's a top guy that wants to come um, above and beyond the numbers you have, you could do that. Um, and we've talked a little bit about DeAndre Moore potentially playing both ways. Uh, so that's a little bit of an athlete sort of thing where you kind of you, you leave the little asterisk to the, the wide receiver position and say, you know, there could always be a guy hidden there that's a receiver or not a receiver. Um, Deuce Robinson right now. Yeah. Uh, Lucas Simmons, Eliza Jacket, Eliza Page, Simeone Palais. Potentially. Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, I, I mean, again, going back to what the question says, better than 50 percent chance that's not saying a whole lot better than 50 percent chance i would give almost any recruit that's going to take an official visit to usc um percentages are always vague you know it's also it's, it's hard to, to my my perception of you know a percentage in, in your perception is different you know if, if you tell me hey man 50 percent rain tomorrow 50% chance of rain tomorrow sounds like I need to be, I need to have an umbrella. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's kind of high. Um, you know, you flip a coin, 50% chance is like, okay. But if you're saying 50% chance out of a greater, uh, group of schools, um, then it doesn't sound so great. You know, like it, it really just depends on your perspective on that percentage, uh, and the reference for it. So, you know, I mean, I, I think Francis, uh, Mario Goa is potentially a 50 percenter plus, I think, you know, I think I, I totally agree that, you know, Miami and NIL and all this stuff going on, they're going to be a player for him. Tennessee uh, is going to be a player with NIL with him. 
Um, but USC is going to be a big player with him as well. And he does have some ties to the West Coast. And, uh, you know, he's a lot closer to home uh, being on the West Coast than he is on the East Coast. Now it's, you know, relative to being still far away from home. Uh, but you've got a coach there in Sean Nua that he has a very good relationship with. And I think that could go a long ways uh, for, for USC and him. So, I mean, I, I kind of would put him in there um, into that, uh, that lineman group. Um, the linebacker core, like you said, I think that's tough. To, that, that seems like a lot of numbers, especially with how USC is recruiting. Uh, we just wrote an article about Blake Purchase. You know, as an edge guy, who's kind of an edge guy slash linebacker. And coming away from that article and that conversation with Blake Purchase leads me to believe that USC is definitely slow playing some linebackers and slow playing some players, which tells you that they have guys higher on their board, but also that they don't have a lot of spots there necessarily. And, you know, the thing that makes this hard to gauge in terms of numbers and we talked about this last week is, is the transfer portal and the guys that they've got in now, uh, Romello height, you know, is he a one and done guy or does he stick around for another year? Um, you know, some of these guys are potentially guys that do have more eligibility. And so we're not necessarily sure how quick they want to go and, 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 and jump in the NFL. But if you've got a guy there that's draft eligible, you have to already look ahead and say, this is a spot that we might potentially have, to fill. So that increases your numbers. But still, having said that, at edge and at linebacker, I, I feel like USC's definitely, they could have taken some guys already. I, I feel like Victory Johnson, they could have made a push early on for him and got him committed if they wanted to. Now Washington's involved, some other schools are involved. They still, still think USC's number one on that list, but I do think that's a guy that they can make a push for and get a commitment from. Uh, Leone uh, Lefou. Lefu, God, I always screw his name up. I don't know why. But anyways, uh, Leona from Kahuku is a linebacker that I think USC has a lead for and is a guy that, you know, they could push for this summer. But again, you know, where does he fall in the grand scheme of things? And numbers wise, you know, other guys like Anthony Hill, that they just want to sort of get on campus and get a feel for and see where they stand with him before they start making push on local guys. There's a sense for that. And I think Anthony Hill is a bit of a long shot, but nevertheless, you know, you get him on a weekend and potentially you feel like, you know, there, there could be some kind of uh shock there, you know, that you could, you could make a big NIL presentation or something, you know, again, that's another wild card in all of this. Um, something happens where it just clicks with him and you're able to make a move with him where everybody kind of thinks he's going to stay uh, probably closer to home. So, um, I do think that's a position where four guys seems like a lot. If they were going to take four linebackers in the class, I kind of feel like they would have already made that push on one of these local guys and already got a guy committed. You know, Isaiah Chisholm, they could make that push for. Um, and, and Victory Johnson, I think they could definitely make that push for. David Peavy is a complete unknown, um, kind of off-the-radar guy down there in San Diego that has an offer, but we're really not sure if USC is even still recruiting him at this point. Um, so yeah, and I, and I agree with defensive line, Kelsey Howard, probably not up there right there for them right now. And I think they want to wait even at this position a little bit to see what happens with guys like John Walker, what happens with some of these other defensive tackles, you know, what, what can they do, um, with some of the out of state guys before they start maybe settling on some of the guys that are more regional. 
And with that, Gerard, I feel like we've been talking for four hours on this episode. It's probably going to be another two, maybe 200, 200, two hours and 20 minutes on this. So we're going to cut it there. Uh, I think it's been a productive podcast. I think we talked about a lot. Um, I think people are going to like this one. But any parting thoughts as we uh, as we wrap up? I believe this is the sixth episode of uh, Composite Two Star Recruit. So congrats to us on six. I don't know why I made it a point to congratulate us. Six is such a weird number to congratulate someone on. I don't know, man. You got a tattoo for 10,000 uh, followers on, on Twitter. I'm trying to remember what I did for 10,000 followers. I don't think I did anything. I think I might have thanked some people if I even acknowledged that I was at 10,000. I don't even know where I'm at now. I have I, Twitter is completely not a thing of my life without I, <laughs> I, you know, I put any stock in it whatsoever. Although Elon is running things now, so we got to see how it works. You know, my, the evolution of Twitter. Will Twitter become a thing of substance? That's the question. Will 140 characters somehow, some way convey more meaning than it really should now? That's my question. That's my parting thought is, can 140 characters actually mean anything to anybody in the future? Should it mean anything to anybody in the future? Just give me an edit button and we're fine. I'm going to give you one guess to how many followers you have before we wrap this up. 13,000. No. You have more than that. You have 16.3 thousand followers. Okay, there you go. All right. Only 16, only 6,000 more than you, dude. You're catching up to me. I'm trying to. I'm well, trying keep, to. You keep doing zany stunts like getting tattoos for followers. I mean, shoot, yeah. you'll be at... Freaking fifty thousand. That they love that stuff. That's social media in a in a in a a short little. Uh, I don't even know what what that's social media for you. Doing crazy stuff. Social media bubble. <laughs> Doing crazy stuff for attention. That's social media. And with that, I'm Chris. That's Gerard. Thank you for joining us on the Composite Two Star Recruits. Send us an email, a question, whatever, a comment at uh, podcast at usfootball.com. Just make sure it's addressed to me or, or the composite or Gerard or those Latino guys, and we'll get to it. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.